the whole philosophy of my gambling was really betting on a lot of a lot of value opportunities, but it's like you're you're, you're chipping along, you're treading along for like 30, 40 weeks of the season, right? And you don't know when you're going to make the money, okay? But there'll be five or six weekends or five or six weeks that everything goes your way. You know what I mean? And those are the weekends. Like, it's not like you're, you're making five grand every week and it, right. that's how it works. It's like you'll go zero, 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 and then you make 50 grand, right. okay? So if you miss that weekend or you miss the opportunity or you're not there, then you won't get that. So you'll have loads of weekends where you're getting three out of four, you're getting two out of three, things are not going well. You'll have like bad weekends and good weekends. But all you're doing is you're trying to stay in the game long enough until you have one of those weekends. Yeah. So you have almost like step pattern. And it's a bit like that with the philosophy or with the psychology is that like you might have these like little improvements, okay? Now, if the rest of the time you can just stay where you are and not go backwards, it means that every improvement you're going a little bit forward. Yeah. You know, but it's not like a straight line. It might be a lot of like staying still. And that's why I always say to people, if you can stay still for 40 weeks of the year and just improve for like, you know, just go back for two of them and go forward for 10 of them. Right. That is a great year because you will make such progress in that year. And if you can do that, you know, so that's like anyone who's trying to perform. All this talk of like get 1% better every day. It's a great, it's great in, in theory. It's never going to work in practice. You know, it doesn't work, you know. Yeah. But staying still is underrated. Staying still is actually really important not getting worse, just staying still and then taking advantage of those those moves forward or those big leaps forward in the weekends. And that was kind of like a thing. So I take like analogies like that from my betting and from my approach to performance and to people looking at it in their lives that are more applicable to what they're doing. I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth or I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald. Thank you for joining me for episode 122 with Mike Knowles. I met Mike probably last year in 2022 at Feel Good Dips. I don't remember the exact weekend and really over that time we haven't really spoken for more than five minutes or so here and there but he is a guy as you'll come to learn in this conversation who is a very social human albeit he didn't start out that way from his younger years but we delve into all of that, his love of golf also running his own sports betting company and many others and what he now does with build your incredible his series of a dozen workshops and potentially more to come it was a very fun conversation and a great night afterwards thanks to mike for hosting me uh, on his podcast i really appreciated his second it was a great one if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a friend or family member, someone who you think will get some value out of it. We're on socials. Check out all the links in the show notes as well. Shout out to Sasha if you're listening, and I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Mike Knowles. Cheers. Mike Knowles, welcome to the Hope Initiative. Ren McDonald, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, mate. <laughs> I knew this would be a fun one, and I feel like you're probably going to take the piss out of me at various points throughout this conversation. Nah, uh, nah, not at all, mate. <laughs> you know, I'm your biggest fan. My biggest fan. Yeah. I, I think it was, what, last Wednesday? You you shared that it was my birthday at Feel Good Tips in the morning. 
that it was your 12th year old birthday. Was 12. that because it was you were born on a leap year? Yeah, correct. And it would have been. It was the 28th of Yeah, exactly. Coincidentally, we found that out. So, yeah, that's how I met you down at, down at Feel Good Dips on one Sunday last year. I don't remember the specific day, but have various points mm. over the, the last sort of six to nine months seen you down there. But as I was doing some research for this podcast, mm-hmm. went back in your Instagram profile and happened to see that you had come down to say g'day to our mutual friend, Sean Bell, in yeah. Port Melbourne when he finished a sub three hour marathon, end of Great. 2020. And you had a photo of me, albeit you can't really see my face, but I'm on your Instagram. So we both stalked each other. There you go. You stalked me as well? What's your story about that? Well, no, that was me. Just right then I was taking pictures of you. Yeah, didn't right. even know <laughs> But nah, Sean's a Sean's a great guy. He's uh, he's gonna run around Australia next year. So he did four thousand k from Cairns right down to Melbourne yeah. last year, and I think he raised over a hundred thousand for uh, for his charity. And um, yeah, make a wish. Yeah, he's 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 what he's twenty four, going on forty. You know, he's, he's such an old soul. He's just smashing it. I love, I love him. Yeah. He's such a motivational character. He's great. He is great. And I guess we didn't really, we maybe had a brief chat. I can't even remember, to be honest. But now here we are doing this chat a few years later. Like I was saying before we got recording, maybe we weren't meant to speak Fate. in 2021. Serendipity brought us together, but it, we weren't ready. We weren't ready, but we're ready <laughs> now, now. We're ready to consummate our beautiful <laughs> deal, ditch relationship in a podcast. And it's not your first. You did one last week, which I listened to, which was really great. And all no, of a sudden, they come, they come when it rains at pause. Mate, you, it's two buses, isn't it? <laughs> you get one. I've been waiting to to pop my cherry, and now here it comes straight after this. But you know, I feel now that one I got out of the way. You know, it wasn't perfect, but today this is the perfect we're one. We're ready. We're ready. We're not going to say I mean? a single, gonna, single wrong thing. We're not going to. Yeah, we're not going to fluff our lines today. No arms. No, no, no arms. We've had enough. We've had enough of filler words. We're going to do it. I love it, mate. So with that in mind, yes, I don't think I've had a long, very long conversation with you one-on-one That's at, at Dips. <laughs> so this is going to be You've interesting. you got an hour now. At least. So I'd love to know if you could, starting with your earliest memory, mm. whatever comes to mind immediately, if you could bring us forward to present day, recording this in March 2023, uh, maybe three to four minutes, I'll put you on the timer. But if you could touch on a few key moments in your life, starting with that earliest memory, bringing us to Okay, now. well, so your earliest memory is nearly always around emotions because, you know, we store memories with, with emotion. And for me, it was, I was about three and it was at my grandma's and it was, uh, it was around, uh, it was around bonfire night. So, I, you know, there must have been this big pile of wood and they're going to chuck it on the bonfire and you're three years old, you get, you get attached to something and it's this like little three-legged stool. So I'm just like walking around in the store, you know, get quite attached. And anyway, my dad just grabbed it off me and chucked it on the fire. And I was inconsolable. My dad still swears blind that it never happened, but it did. And I remember <laughs> I was just like, I love that stool. And you, well, obviously uh, whatever a three-year-old would say, but yeah, he chucked my stool straight on the fire. And yeah. I've, I've never forgiven him for that moment. So that's my earliest memory. I bet. And then things have um, gone downhill since then. <laughs> <laughs> things have literally gone up a, in It's flames. been a roller coaster ever since. Yeah, so th- that was my grandma who's uh, sadly no longer with us, who was an absolute character. And then from there, went through school. I was quite a shy kid. I probably took a while to find myself. And I probably found that through sport at, at secondary school. Mm-hmm. Um, I did gymnastics growing up. That probably instilled a bit of work ethic into me because we did it four evenings a week. Used to do it three hours each evening. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday morning. 
Mm-hmm. That would be from when I was probably seven years old to, to 10 or 11, competing in national championships in that age range. And that probably, you know, that, that level of training at that age, and it was pretty, you know, you were every 30 minutes doing a different apparatus and, and you mm. do conditioning and you were you were competing and there's people watching. And then I went to secondary school, played rugby, played golf, did a bit of running. I, I was never the most skilled at, at some of these sports, but I'd always, you know, I'd always gone with a lot of effort. I had a pretty good engine and I played rugby right through from 11 to 18 for the school and the first team and, and uh, yep. yeah, played golf for, for my club and stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah nice. And then, yeah, I guess um, moving through school, I probably survived through school, became more of a kind of cheeky, che- the cheeky one, the joker at school. That that led me through um, to about 14, 15. And then I really like focused, I got really interested in golf and that kind of gave me a little bit of direction. And I think at that point I started to become a little bit more confident and felt I didn't need to be as cheeky. I could be a little bit more just me and I yeah. could just float between different groups. I've always felt like I've been a bit of a social butterfly, I like to have different groups. And that took me to the golf, loving the golf, took me to St. Andrews University. So that was me leaving home at 18, went to Scotland, never been there before that she arrived. And I was like, right, I'm here. I don't think I unpacked my suitcase for three months. So it was just like we were out, <laughs> we were out every night for two months, literally just partying. Um, Amazing. For, the first night I didn't even make it home. I, I stayed at, I stayed on the couch of some second, these second year girls I met on the first night. I had to, there was no Google Maps. I just found a map to work, work my way back to where I lived. <laughs> I don't think I knew anyone in halls after two weeks. I was like, I better, I better make some friends. I've just been partying that much. Amazing. So that was a wild, wild time in Scotland. Met, you know a few famous people, I had loads of great stories. Prince Will came there, so we were there for four years. I used to caddy on the old course, so I caddied on the old course in the summers. Mm-hmm. Um, played played a bit of golf. Then I left there, went to work for a, a sports spread betting company in London called Sport & Index. Mm-hmm. That was for 18 months, worked there. Didn't really love London, wasn't really my thing, but that was where the job was. So I did that, and then... It, it wasn't for heaps of money, but I was learning lots. And at a certain point, I just thought, you know what? I'm probably, the only way anyone's making any money here is by winning at gambling. And I didn't have a lot of money at that point. I think I'd made up to 10 grand, but I thought basically, if I'm going to do it, I've got to make it gambling. So I thought, well, I might as well just cut the middleman and just work for myself. So I just left there at 23 and with a plan that, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get a job back in Leeds. And I moved back up north to Leeds with mum, uh, moved back in with mum and dad, loads of mates up there, yeah. had a crack at the gambling. Thankfully, I had a good run and and that was that. And then I just so I became a professional gambler. Went to Switzerland for a bit, came back. Two of my friends left Sporting Index, so I went into a syndicate with them. So we did that for three years. That was Matt and Jobber. We had three good years. I learned a lot of them. And then there was the opportunity, basically, Matt actually left to come to Australia, but I wasn't thinking of Australia at that point. And so I set up on my own and brought a few of my friends in. There was like three of us to start with, me, Tom and uh, Brev. And then we brought Mooney in and Glenn, and then Glenn left, and then we had another four lads. So they ended up being eight of us, Elliot and Andy and yeah. Finney. And so there was there was eight of us, and we're all doing different sports. Some of the lads were putting bets on. Some of them were doing cricket, racing. I was doing rugby league and football and a little bit like TV specials on politics. And we were putting big money bets on, so you know, probably five-figure bets on or, or, or certainly, big, certainly big money and some big stakes and some big decisions. Mm. And we had big targets. If we hit them, we went to Vegas. We went to Vegas a couple of years running. And then that pretty much took me up till about 2018, 19. But while I was doing that, I went back to uni. I was really getting to my golf again. So I went back to uni and did performance psychology master's. So I'd done economics master's at St. Andrews Uni. Didn't really like that at all, but I loved the psychology element of that. So I did 
a psychology dissertation from economics. Mm-hmm. Decided to go into performance psychology, which is all about sports psych, uh, looking at elite performers, how they peak at certain moments, the, how they deal with stress and coping, team dynamics, how they plan for performance. So that was really interesting. I finally did it part time in the end because I because the test <laughs> both years overlapped with the Vegas trips. So like, <laughs> the guy's like, "Yeah, I'm going to give you a zero. He's like, "Nah, I'll just do it next year." <laughs> He's like, mm, "Okay then." So I came back the next year. Two weeks later, same thing. I was like, "I'll see you next year." <laughs> and then I eventually got my dissertation banged off, which I did on with the with my mate Brooks. He was a, a European tour coach, and and I helped out a couple of my friends who were really good elite amateur golfers, and we kind of filmed them on course. We worked on their pre-show routines, and then we filmed them afterwards to see how they how they did, yeah. and see. And then we went and interviewed like the coach and the players uh, about their experience. So it was all about pre-show routines, and you know, very much you see that obviously in stuff like penalty kicks or in rugby goal kicking or AFL yep. is obviously massive. So that's like probably my main area for for elite performance that I've worked with is sort of pre-show routines. And then coming to Melbourne three and a half years ago, I'd had a couple of summers here, but I came here with the intention of. Um, I guess becoming a speaker, becoming a performance coach, using that that degree to to help everyone. And firstly, I thought I might work with some sports people. I, I realized that probably wasn't going to be too easy unless I followed the tour. So that wasn't maybe going to be the, an, an easy option, especially when COVID happened. And I thought I might then use my gambling to help people in business, you know, who were maybe financial analysts. And mm-hmm. I remember telling that at, at, at one of those coaching days, and as soon as I said it, I was like, that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to just help rich guys get richer. You know, I, just, I couldn't care less. That's not my thing. I'm all about helping people who want to be great or helping everyday people to get better, you know, essentially dealing with passionate people mm-hmm. who want to go after things, who want to make better with their life and and hopefully give them a few ideas to do that. So that's what led to me thinking about doing the workshops. Had a bit of like, well, who am I to maybe do some of this? But then I thought, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. Came up with six. Delivered them. Still, really didn't know who my audience was going to be. But then, after I started going to like feel good dips and all these community groups, then everyone started supporting me, mm. and that's really led to me building the range out from six to twelve. And and I'd, I've got twelve different uh, workshops now, and and you know they're pretty well supported. So I did one last night on decision making, and uh, yeah, that's where we are. That's right up to date. So a little bit longer than three to four minutes, but you got the whole uh, you got the whole story there. Amazing, mate. I appreciate you yeah sharing all that. A lot of stuff I didn't know. I, I wanted to know. I think you might have told me before where you're from. So Leeds. Yeah. So much from a little town called Halifax. That's where I went to school. Yeah. So it's in the Pennines. It's a beautiful part of Yorkshire. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably part of the West Yorkshire. Uh, conurbation so there's Leeds, Bradford, Huddersfield, very much a northern town, good sense of humour, yep. quite cynical. We like a pint, we like a drink, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we like our sport. And yeah. yeah, a lot of people who I grew up with, they'll still be exactly where I left them. And they're great lads, but you know, a lot of people we just like kind of live and die in those towns. That's kind of how that sort of mentality. Yeah. Amazing life, lovely people, some of the all pr- probably my best mates in the world are all there. Yeah. Um and I went back there from twenty four to thirty one. I loved it. And certainly you also had amazing, you had amazing sports clubs where you could go to the golf club and you got three generations there. And then you'd walk up to the rugby club and have a pint, you got three generations there. And, you know, you would know people from, from 20, 30 years ago going to school with them. And, and then you, you'd, you'd grow up and then your kids would go to school together. So st- amazing, amazing communities, amazing sports clubs, amazing history and beautiful it's beautiful countryside. Mm. You know, you could go around, you could walk around like kind of the rolling hills of Yorkshire. It is, it's a beautiful part of the world. 
Yeah. You know, they had the they had the Tour de France there, or one of the legs of Tour, Tour de France kind of came through. Really? Uh, yeah, for, for a couple of days they came through Yorkshire and they went up the some of the the things through through the Yorkshire Dales and yeah, oh. so they had a couple of the legs. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, it's a lovely part of the world. I'll have to get there once, well, more than once, hopefully, or, or pay a visit. My brother actually lived in Leeds for a couple of years. Yeah, uh, in twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen. So. Great. I so. was close to supporting the football club until Harry Kuehl moved oh. to uh, Liverpool, thankfully for me. <laughs> I don't go for Leeds. Yeah, Liverpool's probably better than Leeds. Absolutely. Well, the reason why I start with that question is because I really believe that, yeah, the, the early days of our life, the childhood does shape, you know, ultimately who we become or has a big impact. And it was interesting that you mentioned emotions, mm. the first emotion sort of around that, around that story with the bonfire. And mm. I also found it interesting how you – mentioned you were quite a shy kid which i wouldn't have picked no you know you're very outgoing person Mm. i always seem to see you talking to different yeah people like you said later that you like to get around and just you know get yourself into different groups or you're seemingly very outgoing person where do you think that switch well occurred and and why yeah i think it was a process so what i I mean like i say when i was was six seven years old I i was probably quite a soft kid quite sensitive I remember at certain points, for whatever reason, I just decided that, you know, you'd get on break times and I thought, I'm not even going to go outside. I'm just going to go and brush up on the floor. And the teachers probably, like now, they'd probably be like, right, we need to chat with the parents or we need to do something. Now it's, oh yeah, go and brush up, crack on. And the cleaner's probably wondering why the hell this room's so so tidy. But so I I didn't really, you know, I necessarily didn't really throw myself into situations. And I I started to, I guess I'd make friends, but I always just felt like a little bit, anxious you mm-hmm. know and then even when I got into I guess getting more into sports that helped at secondary school and I felt like I was more involved but again it was probably only there was a moment when I was 14 and I won the golf the junior golf comp or the the junior golf championship at a golf club mm. you had to do a speech in front of 100 people 100 people in the clubhouse and you're 14 and you and you that I'm reading off the notes and I'm like Ladies and gentlemen, I'd just like to thank everyone for coming out today and uh, I have played really well. And I was like this. And then I won it again the next year and it was like night and day. I was like, okay, everyone. I was like, ladies and gentlemen, here we are again. You know, thanks very much. I'd just like to thank the bar staff. I'd like to thank them. And I'm throwing in jokes and stuff. And it was, you know, it was, um, I think golf had, had given me that outlet, had given me that confidence or, or it had given me some purpose direction. Yep. And, and um, yeah, that was a huge turning point for me in terms of coming out myself yep. and growing into um, the person that that everyone knows and loves now. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but it's true. It is true. Did, were you aware at the time as that young kid that it was a night and day difference or is it something you've reflected on now as an adult? I mean, looking back, it did seem to be seminal. I might not have noticed it at the time, yep. but it was definitely... Um, I think going to uni as well, certainly there was a point at, at, at school. Well, I think, you know, we're all, as, as kids, right, we all want to fit in. So mm. important to us. You know, it's a different part of our brain that's wired that we're so much more about what other people think. Yeah. So judgment for us is huge as a kid. You know, we're so, so important for us to fit in. And they've shown this with research. You know, they put kids in, into, uh, into shop windows and people watching them and they're like, their brain's just going like... Brrr. Like I think it was I think it was David Eagleman that did the experiment, yeah. and adults just like oh this is mildly interesting. A kid is literally just going berserk, like what are they looking at me? What are they thinking? What are they judging? And they're wow. yeah. So 
their amygdala is just firing up, everything's going fight or flight. And so I think as a kid probably had some social anxiety, but at a certain point I was just like, I remember there was a point where we all got to, um, yeah, we, we were going second year field trip to like Wales, Harlech and the whole school went and you're camping out. It was quite fun, but you got to pick your own tents, which for a kid is like, oh, great. If you're a bit like, oh, which tent am I going to go in? You know, As in where, like, who are you going to be? Yes, you had to pick your six in each six, tent. Six, big tent, like a small So you had all the, so you had literally all the girls on one side. So maybe there's like six, 60, 60 girls, 60 guys in, in the year, right? So you got 10, 10 rows of six girls. Uh, yeah, 10 yeah, rows of six. Yeah, ten, no, <laughs> six rows. No, what am I on about? Yeah, 10 tents. Six in each. With six girls and then 10 tents to this side. Yeah. So, you know, you, it was set up for ridiculousness as well, for just running across and just causing problems. Just jumping night. on a tent. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it was quite <laughs> funny. But there was like five uh, five lads in, in my uh, in my group and they were on the rugby group and it was like, they were almost going to make like two or three of us against, essentially fight out to be the sixth spot, right? And it was, it was not going to be a great prize because whoever got that spot would probably be like bullied a bit or the one that got teased and stuff. So I was a bit like halfway through that, I was just like, nah, I'm not bothered. I don't want to be in that tent. I'm going to get another one. And I just, even just making that choice was huge for me in terms of, and you know, the, those lads are all right. There's nothing wrong with them, but just making that choice and going, I'm not, I'm going to take that power away from you, you know? So then it's not even about you. I'm not even bothered anymore, you know? And I'm just going to go and do me. Mm. And then I wouldn't even care. Like I would come to school and have like golf clubs in my bag and I'd just be reading my books and everyone else is just doing whatever. And yeah, I'd be like laughing and joking and turn up like full classes and get in trouble and doing this and that. And it wasn't like I wasn't popular at that point. I was pretty popular, but I'd just do my own thing. I didn't mm. care. So I just stopped caring as much what people thought. And then obviously within that, and I was quite happy just, I was quite happy being contrarian. Like it set me up to be just like didn't didn't care I was going to go against the grain you know my, my philosophy was if you do if you just do it like everyone else you're just going to be like everyone else right so if you if you go differently it's either going to go really well it's going to go really bad as mm-hmm. long as you don't lose your shit when it goes really bad then you can just change and then sooner or later you probably it'll probably go really well yeah. that was it so that's just what I thought as a what an 11 12 year old no nah, I was probably about 14 15 six yeah pro- 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 probably 14 to 16 yeah to the point where like pretty much had that philosophy by 16 was it's like it'll be all right i'll figure it out i'll be all right i'm not gonna have to i, I just stopped worrying about a lot of stuff it's pretty wise like i remember me at that age trying to wear <laughs> like my hair a certain way like mm. loads of product and all these different things to try and get like you know girls to like me guys to be my friends and i was i consider myself to be popular i was decent at sport these sorts of things yeah where do you think that came from for you like did you have family members uncle, auntie, or someone that, you know, helped you? I mean, look, probably I still, if you went back to me right now and showed me some videos, 16, probably was that still that kid. Shocking haircut. <laughs> Shocking haircut. I'm probably still wanting girls to like me. But yeah, I think, I, I guess from my mum and dad, they were quite independent and they were more about like, you know, what they want to do. They just do what they wanted to do. I mean, I just quit his job. He had, you know, a pretty good job. And he's just like, screw it, I'm going to go and do, um, I'm going to work at a golf club, you know, and, and sort of um, start running a golf club, invest in that, become a, a uh, I guess a partner in that. Mum had heaps of jobs. So she was a magistrate. She had her own nursery or kindergarten. She had a dressmaking agency or she, she rented dresses. She worked in real estate. She helped like kids at schools with training and stuff. So and my dad ended up having a kebab knife business, worked in IT, did databases, was a treasurer. So they, wow. they just did multiple things. And ultimately they they were more bothered about, you know, being 
honest and having good values and how you treat people, that was more important necessarily than what people thought about you. Yeah. Much, you know, they were very integrous and, you know, very, very, um, very, very reliable. Mm -hmm. They loved us completely and, or they, they do love us completely. And they were, yeah, they were just really good role models in that sense. And they were very supportive. So yeah. I never felt like, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. So it was a lot very easy for me to um, feel as though I could, I guess, go off on a bit of a, a tangent. Yeah. They never they never said you got to do this, you got to do that. They always went just just do you, you know. Yeah, it's great. As long as you treat people well and you you kind of do go by these values and and you go after things, you know. Yeah. So, I was like, okay. Love it. Just one sister or do you have other siblings? Got a sister and a brother. Yeah. Some brothers got a lovely family. So he's Dave and his wife's called Danielle and he's got Two, two great kids, Charlie and Daisy, and they live in uh, Whitley Bay, just outside Newcastle. Okay. So they've got little Geordie accents. Oh, so I was going to say, yeah, Newcastle in the UK, so, so not, not up the coast here nah, in Australia. Not, 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 in, uh, not in New South Wales, no, no. a little bit further north, so not, <laughs> not quite as good weather. Well, further north. Um, but yes, yeah, so they're all like little little Geordies. Yeah, you're going to do a Geordie accent where I cut like, you well, off. Like, hey, man, I don't believe it. <laughs> Charlie's like, oh, mum, can, like, can Ollie jump, Lake? And it's like, no, <laughs> not really. He's like, one. <laughs> And then my sister, so that's Jill. She's married to Tinny, who actually just fell off. His, he came off his bike yesterday, so he broke his wrist. So shout out to Tinny. I hope you're recovering well. He's Thankfully, it's not too bad. But Is that in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. So he came came off, had a nasty cut on his nose and broke his wrist and uh, wow. yeah, bashed up pretty bad. But apart from that, there's no concussion. No. Yeah, Nothing too bad. So yes, yeah, so that, that was good. Fing, fingers crossed it's not, nothing too bad with the wrist. But yeah, so she's married to Tinny and they've got a young lad called Ollie who's just coming up to two years. So he's just getting into the tantrum stage and beautiful, wanting independence. So yeah, they're both here. They live in um, just down in Hampton. Okay, so, nice. Yeah. What was life like growing up with them? And are you the eldest in the middle? Youngest? Yeah, I was the eldest, although everyone eldest. thinks that my brother's the eldest. Which <laughs> really annoys him. I was the eldest of seven. I still am. No way. Not was. I am. Yeah. What's it been like for you? What was it like for you? Did you feel the pressure trying to set an example for your siblings? I think like being the eldest, obviously, you might, but I mean, everyone always says, you're not the favorite. You are the favorite. <laughs> you're the first. How can you not be? Because like you, you know, you, everything's going to be the first time. And they're going to care that much more. Like when they've got totally. like seven, they're like, oh, God, another yeah. one. You just look at the seven. Yeah, oh, seven. Send her off to they're school. Like the first no one and, needs a photo of they're that. They're like the first and the last. You know, the one in the middle, the one's a bit like, oh. <laughs> whatever. Who's still on in the Is middle? Is he still here? Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Is he still on Piss holiday? Off, mate. Yeah. So look, I think there's, there's obviously pros and cons. Uh, they obviously, they really put a lot into you and obviously put everything into you, but they also, they're still figuring stuff out. <laughs> so they make a lot of mistakes and you're the, you're the, uh, you're the trial for the, for the other two. So, you know, yeah. sometimes that means, that, and obviously you've got no one to look up to in terms of what to do. So I think that maybe like pushed me towards maybe why I was a little bit anxious or maybe I was, I don't know, like whatever, close to your mom or something like that or mummy's boy. or I, I maybe, maybe that, that would, I guess, have had an influence. Sure. Never felt much pressure. I was quite close in age to my brother. We were, we used to, we get on pretty well. Very different to me. We'd both share like bunk beds. We both do paper ons together. He played a bit of rugby together. He was a bit more like action. Okay. Like he would be like you know go skydiving, bungee jumping. Would have been in the military, but he ended up being celiac, so that was probably a good thing because he missed out on Iraq and and a lot of other conflicts. So that was actually probably a good thing. 
And then, yeah, but he, he's a great guy. And my sister was a little bit young, younger than us. So obviously I didn't have as much of a relationship when we were really young. But then probably had really good relationship when I came back and she was still living at home. And then in both in our kind of 20s, say, we yep. we got on really well. So I got on really well with my sister as well. So Yeah, nice. Yeah. It's good, man. Really good, like really good, really lucky with the family unit. You know, everyone gets on pretty well. Yeah. Not had that many dramas. You know, everyone loves each other. It's been like, yeah. So like normally you come on and say, you know, everyone's everyone's got everyone's got trauma i get it everyone's got this and everyone's got that but like yeah i've been extremely lucky to have such a secure let loving and i guess stable background yeah which has probably led to me being able to be very comfortable and being vulnerable taking risks and and in lots of other areas so, yeah yeah a, a strong family unit is such an important thing oh, which yeah. my parents are divorced so the seven aren't all from the same two but thankfully my parents are still good friends mm. and they're now yeah, spouses yeah come together a few times on family christmases which has been nice for me and my brother and all i guess all the siblings yeah that's great which has been fun but yeah it's so important it's interesting you touching on that how that's maybe helped you yeah become a confident person you've now moved overseas you moved away from home at a young age as well mm. for for a period i think it's it's massively important yeah like i wasn't my mum would probably would be like what the hell like i, <laughs> I remember when i went away september to uni, I don't think I even phoned home for three months. Yeah. They would have been like, what the hell? I was literally just, you know, not, yeah. They'd just be like, oh, we'll just don't even need to worry about him. He'll just, it'll be all right. We'll just, you know, he'll get in touch when he gets in touch. Like yeah. I was just hopeless, you know, uh, in some regards. So yeah, I was quite happy to be independent. Didn't yeah. really care. Like I was, it's cool. Yeah. It's rad. I think those years, like I remember when I was, that age went on a few school camps, 10 days away, yeah. two weeks away, nothing massive, but I definitely yearned for ultimately that, that adventure, that independence, mm. which you seemingly got when you went to uni. But I'm curious to know before that, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? That cliche question, do when you grow up? Oh, like I remember, I mean, I definitely, there was a, a stage, like I think Golf's one of those spots that teases people. Like, if you run the 100 meters, you know where you stand, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you're either good or you're not. And if, you, if you're not running, like, you know, close to 10 seconds, then, you know, you're not very, you're not going to be good. Yeah. Golf's one of these spots that teases you, even if you're not great. And I wasn't great by, by a long stretch. But, you know, I was hard working at it. But it teases a lot of people into thinking they could be good at it because it's one of those spots on your day. You are pretty good at it. Yeah. So, you know, I obviously probably, like a lot of people, had... Uh, had illusions of, of maybe maybe looking to do something in golf and never, never got near that. But, you know, in a way, a lot of my work and a lot of my life has been shaped by golf in terms of my career was around betting on golf. Yeah. I went back to uni to do a performance psychology in golf. Part of the, you know, I went to St. Andrews, the university for the golf. And yeah, a lot of people that I've met and even coming to Melbourne had great golf courses. So yeah, it has shaped my life massively. Yeah. Even though you know, never came close to actually making it as a as a career, you know, or anything like that. But yeah, for, for a year or two, I was thinking, right, I just wanted to try and get as good as I can mm. get at that. Probably when I, quite early on in uni, I realized that I wasn't anywhere near and, and I wasn't really getting better quick. And I was a bit of a head case, which obviously doesn't help me <laughs> being great at sport. So yeah, so that's part of the reason I went back to do the psych stuff because I was like a bit all over the shop with, with, my, um, with my performance in, in golf. But yeah, like I remember many, many times so St. Andrews is on the coast, beautiful part of the world, east coast of Scotland. It's about mm -hmm. an hour north of Edinburgh, an hour and 10 
north of Edinburgh, the east coast, and it's cold. Like, it's cold most of the year, right? And dark. But it's beautiful beaches, like East Sands, and they've got a cathedral and an old castle, and then the pier, and you walk alongside. And so you could walk at night, and, you 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 know, it's quite, you know, you walk in with, with a past if you're going to talk. You know, you'd, you'd walk there, and you'd feel like, you know, you're, you're surrounded by history. Yeah. You know, the uni's like 600 years old. The, the cathedral's there. You know, it used to be the, the capital of Scotland and everything. So you walk around this little town. Yeah. And, and it is inspiring and it does bring things up. And I would I'd remember sometimes I'd go out walk late at night, you might have had a couple of beers and something, and then it's like 12, one o'clock. And I'd be going there and going to end up here and, and I'd be saying, what do you want to, what do you want to do? Like, what should I do? You know, I'm like almost saying it to the seat. I didn't really believe, I never really believed in a higher power or anything, but I was almost putting it out there and going, and I didn't, don't believe in the universe or anything like that, telling me what to do. But I was almost just going, what, what should I do? What is my purpose? Like, what, what should I do in my life? Because, you know, you're having these big sort of life questions. And then at a certain point, I don't know when, not maybe a year or two after that, I just literally thought that you literally, it doesn't matter what you do, um, that you haven't got this kind of life purpose. It's like you get to decide. So existentialist, it doesn't really, you know, you ha you haven't got any specific meaning that's put onto you, but with that comes great freedom and, and also responsibility, but you get to pick what matters to you. You get to pick your life meaning, you get to pick your purpose, and that can change through your life. So as soon as I realize that, and it's just like, right, you can you get to pick, there isn't an answer there. It's like, you've got the power, so you can go and do whatever you want to do. And at that moment, I was like, fantastic. That takes the pressure off. And what I did do, which was pretty smart, was got into gambling, not because I saw that as my life purpose, but because I thought, I'm pretty good at this. I see an opportunity here. I can literally set myself up in a few years here. Like, I'm going to take this opportunity now. And then when I'm set up financially, and I don't mind as well, it's a good challenge. I'm enjoying it. And I'll just go where I can at it. And I kind of realized that about 25, like this is an opportunity. And I said to myself, I'll set myself up and then I'll figure out what I want to do with my life. Or then I'll figure out what I want to, my passions to be, you yeah, know? Yeah. And that's kind of how it played out. And it was like, maybe I'll carry on doing this, who knows how long. And I ended up probably doing that for longer than I thought. You know, ended up doing it for about 12, 12, 14 years, you know, but with the idea of going back to uni and I didn't know where that would lead. And yeah, so I think certainly to answer the question around about, I remember distinctly having thoughts about what the hell should I do? And then at the moment I had the thing, it doesn't matter. Mm. You, you, you get to decide, like, don't worry about it. Like you can literally do anything. And then from that point, 15 years ago, something I've never worried about that. Never, never, never concerned me. Amazing. Yeah. How long had you been at uni until you had that night? Yeah. So I remember probably, so that would be like, I'm probably 2021 20, when I'm walking around, around, around the sea and that. And it probably was maybe two or three years later where, where it kind of, at 24, 25, where I probably started to have the realization that you just get to, you get to choose. And there isn't any like bigger purpose there's no there's no one who comes down to you and says here's what you should do go and do this it's just like you get to choose you choose you decide what gives you meaning and you know what you can change down the line when you change and your values change and what's important to you changes and you will because i guarantee what's important to me at eight isn't going to be the same as what's important to when i was eight yeah you know or 20 mm. so do you feel like that's the way in the case with everyone or is that the case with you some people are lucky enough to maybe have a life purpose possibly you know and and they do throw themselves in but for me it's like you get to choose your what you get to choose your own meaning mm. so obviously it's going to be shaped from the things you do and and the things you're introduced to and they 
going to become interests and maybe then passions and then they might become, you know, your ikigai or your life, uh, your life purpose or your reason for being. But for the vast majority of us, I think it's the stupidest question and other people have raised this to ask kids what they want to be. Because firstly, some of the stuff that they might be in 20 years hasn't even been invented yet, right? which would be the case if you asked them 20, 30 years ago. And it, and it makes kids also feel as if they're only going to be defined by their work, like by what they're actually, oh, well, I'm defined by my work and it's something that we've just got to do and, and rather than how you feel or what do you want to be or how do you want to help people or, you know, so, mm -hmm. and, and secondly, it's going to change. You know, I think the founders in Young Australian said we're going to have four to five careers, you're going to have 17 different jobs in, in, your, in your life. So what's the point in asking someone what they're going to do? It's like, unless you, you know, it's not a job for life is not, is not the, the thing for most people anymore. You know, yeah. it's not going to be the case. Couldn't agree more, mate. It's yeah. in interesting hearing you talking about it, having not gone to one of your 12 workshops or 12 different <laughs> <laughs> workshops. Exactly. I, I'm curious to know though, what are your thoughts on, I guess, that being just a question that not only is asked of kids, but it's the common one when you meet someone new. It's like, oh, what do you do? Exactly. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's lacking in creativity. So it immediately just boxes people into as if, oh, I'm a X, I'm a whatever. It's just like, yeah, just because you're that, we have a tremendous want or desire to pigeonhole people, you know, to say they're that and they're that. It's just like, nah, like you could be this, right? But then you could also be this. Just because you're an accountant doesn't mean you can't be a salsa dancer. You know, yeah, there's a stereotype to what an accountant is. And yeah, some of them will be like that, right? But you're not just what you do, mm. you know, and, and everyone's different. And you could be this, but then you could also be very funny in this environment. You could be very serious in this environment. You could be very loving in this environment. You know, it doesn't, people are very complex, multifaceted. And the more that we try and pigeonhole, it it takes away a lot of the the beauty and the amazing diversity there is in the world. So you're going to connect with people so much more if you don't just ask them to do, you know, what do you love or what are your passions or what's important to you or what brings meaning to you or who'd you like to spend your time with? You're going to get a lot better answers, mm. you know, or you're going to make people think. Absolutely. What's a better question? Yeah, those things. Like what What would you do, you know, if, if money – if money was no option, if you, right. if you woke up tomorrow and you had a billion dollars in, in your bank account, what would you do? Mm. And is Zuckerberg who says, you know, money's not the goal, freedom's the goal. And the freedom to be able to choose what you do with your life, what, you know, if, if someone dropped a load of money in, into your account and you didn't change anything the next day, then that, for me, that's a success. Mm. You're getting up and you're like, you know what? I pretty much do this anyway. And for some people that is work. People, some people love work. Some founders, they just want to work the whole life. You know, Ray Kroc, perfect example. At McDonald's, you know, these guys are just, they're businessmen or they like doing deals or they like working hard. Other people, they're more about experiences. Other people, more about contribution. And, you know, a lot of time it'd be a mixture. Yeah. But if you're getting to a point where literally you would get, and a lot of people who are rich are not free. That's for damn sure. You know, they're not doing what they want to do. They've either got golden handcuffs or they, 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 their outgoings are so much that they can't stop you know, bringing the money in because they've already got this like champagne lifestyle. And yeah. for me, I probably realized quite early that money was not <laughs> going to, going to lead anywhere good. Yes. You you know, obviously I did a job that made, was about making money and that's how we kept score, but that was never the goal for me. The goal was literally to get my freedom to, to be able to play golf, to be able to help people, to do things, to do things that I was passionate about. Yeah. You know, that was it. That was my plan. 
And I knew that money did not ever lead anyone really, all material things never really lead to happiness or certainly not fulfillment or meaning. Because as soon as we've got something, our baseline very quickly just mediates good or bad to to where that is. Right. So it doesn't, you know, we're very quick to adapt. And the one thing that stops us doing that is by being grateful of what we've already got, mm-hmm. you know. And gratitude can be the thing of like, you're actually grateful for what you've got and then you're not as you're not going after stuff all the time because you're never going to get that, right? You can, can always add another zero onto the end of a million dollars or 10 million, 100, what, who cares, Yeah, you know? So for me, you know, I think, and I think more and more people are coming around to that philosophy. And that's why there is this big push for personal development, growth, skills, finding more meaning, finding more purpose. And people like me are being seen as, you know, people are seeking out people that are going to maybe help them find a few ideas and a few answers that they're not finding from just, oh, well, I'm doing this job to pay the bills. Yeah. You know? For sure. When you were starting off that journey of the professional gambling yeah, in your own sort of company, mm-hmm. and maybe it wasn't the start, maybe it was a few years in, I'm conscious to know what did you see the end game was? Because this philosophy that we're talking about you're clearly aware that it's not going to be something for life mm. now, but was it at that time? And was there a dollar mark that you were like trying to get to so that you were somewhat more stable or set up or what was, yeah, what was it for you? What were you striving for? Yeah, really good question. I think when I started out, I was just thinking, brilliant, this is great. I can make enough money and then I can play golf and then I can go ski. I just went and did like ski season and that didn't really work out. So I came back, but then I just saw it as like, this is brilliant. I can just work enough, you know, make, make my five and a quid I need to make for the week. And then boom, see you later. I'm off to the golf course, you know? So that was my philosophy at that point for a couple of years, got in with the two lads. And then very quickly, I realized like when I got in with uh, Jobber and Turk, that it was like, okay, this is a shot. This is actually an opportunity where we can make, you know, serious money in, in, and in, in the UK. And I think in Australia, you don't pay tax on your gambling winning so it was a bit like right if we make this and obviously if you lose you, you can't you can't write it off which is the reason why they do it right because most people lose so they don't want to be able they don't want those people to be able to write off those losses sure and basically because of that it's like right well, if we make this money like i can see a route here where in four five six years i we can literally set ourselves up and at that point my focus changed and started to be a bit more professional about it and thinking okay right i'm just gonna like you know, at a certain point for probably four or five years, it was like, right, I'll work every weekend. If I went on a holiday, I'd book it from like Sunday to Thursday. Do you know what I mean? These sorts of things. I would come home early from the sun because it wasn't worth me missing a weekend, yep. you know? I'd still go out on nights out on the Saturday, but I'd be working till like maybe 3 a.m. on a Friday and then and then Saturday. So at that point, and then certainly when I set up my own syndicate, my intention at that point was to build the best syndicate we could or yep. like to build a, a, a great syndicate. So my, my thought was, you don't need to really aim for something. You don't necessarily need to say, oh, I've got this monetary figure. I'm going to try and hit that. It's just basically like if you just try and do everything as well as you possibly can, and if you look at every variable and you think, right, what's really going to move the needle? And then you get on top of all those things that are really going to move the needle and really smash it with your work ethic and your process, then as Bill Wall says, the scoreboard will take care of itself. Right. You know, you just get on top of your process. You handle all that stuff. You get on top of your logistics. A lot of people, they can come with good bets, but they couldn't handle logistics. They didn't have the betting accounts. They didn't have the money in the right place. They didn't have enough money where they needed it. They didn't have people in the shops. They didn't have people in the shops at the right time. They couldn't get a bet on quickly. Mm. We made our, or I made 
it our thing that that was not going to be us. You know, we were going to be as organized. My dad was amazing at databases, so he made us this great database that told us like all these different all these different betting accounts, what bets we'd had on each betting account, what sport each betting account was going to going to be. So we maybe had like thirty or forty bet for six fives, and one of them would be like cricket one, one of them would be a, one, one would be a big staking one, one would be a bit smaller staking one. And then we'd have people in different areas shopping, you know, so we'd have, you know, maybe three or four guys out shopping in different areas, putting on different bets for rugby union, rugby league, cricket, racing, all this kind of stuff. And is it almost just like we want this team at this month or this price or whatever, go go now? And it needs to be done in like... We'd, yeah, we'd give them bets there. We're at Labrooks, want 600 quid on this, at this price, happy to take this price. Yeah. You know, so that often they would refer it and then ask the question and then oh, it'd be like, right, yeah, just get like this specific bet, this team to score first or, or you know, Newcastle plus 10 in the Rupa, you know, in the Super League or something like Le- Leeds minus 12 or whatever. So you'd be on the handicap or, yep. you know, Leeds 12 plus or something or, yeah, these sorts of bets. And you would be building up a position and depending on how confident you, you felt about that, mm. you, that would determine like how much money you would be trying to get on. Right. And then if we felt really good about something, we had a couple of bets, we might try and get them in multis or we'd call them hackers, accumulators. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so all based on value and then it was all based on how good value we thought it was. The more, the better the value, the more money we would try to get on. But what often happened was you didn't always get what money you wanted to on the best bet. So right. you would sometimes just have to get what you were given. And obviously you might end up with certain, a bit more on some stuff than other stuff because you just couldn't get the money down. So sure. it wasn't exact science. You just tried to do the best you could. Right. But it's that logistics and ultimately just setting things up so well. And like you said, the scoreboard will take care of itself. Yeah, That's so what you're hoping to. We were doing, to like, do. I remember once we met <laughs> this horse and um, it's called Hollow Blue Sky and <laughs> we didn't have much luck with this horse. So we, I, I bought into, there was, there was about 12 as we bought into this uh, horse and my really good mate, Huey and Charlie and, and, and Davey Williams and we'd, we'd all, we'd all I, I was out for a few drinks down in Cheltenham with, with Huey and he convinced me to, to buy a share of this horse <laughs> I did. And the first time out, it was, uh, you know, it was gonna be a superstar, you know, and, and they were all trained by Nigel Tristan Davies and and uh, he had a habit of, of getting horses good first time out. They had a steep track that went went pretty pretty hard uphill and, and the horses were really fit first time out. So they often won their first races of the season. And they often did very well at certain. They always had a bit of a bonanza at Perth, and and certain ones they were they were quite good at getting the horses ready. And they had a great record with the young horses. So when a, a young jumps ho- uh, horse, they first go uh, out round two miles on the flat, and it's called a bumper, and it's like just to get them used to going out with other horses, the whole environment. And so we 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 had Hollow Sky in the bumper, and I think I'd put on. And I told everyone, right, this is, this is, you know, told it's a superstar. And, and a lot of their other horses, you know, had won, they'd won Grand Nationals and they wouldn't, they'd won, they'd won f- essentially festival competitions at Cheltenham. So they were, you know, they were, they're, they're a top stable. Yeah. So they were saying it's a superstar. I was like, right, well, this essentially is, a this, sure thing. This up. is go time. Yeah. So <laughs> the price of it was going to be around like 3.5. Well, it, we thought it would be like three to four, you know, yep. um, in decimal money. So you, you, you times your money by three or four if it wins. Yeah. And it was, came out about 3.5 to 4. So I'd instructed, there was like literally 14. It just happened. There was about 14 of my mates. So there's my dad that was in Leeds. A couple, there was a guy in Scotland. 
There's my mate over in Ireland, we had two guys in Wales, someone in London, my mate brother had gone and stayed in a hotel in like Warrington. I think Tom had gone and stayed down with his cousin in Northampton. So we were all, it was like an absolute, you could write a book about this. It was like 14 of us in all different four countries. And it kind of got to about half 10. And so we're not going to touch it till half 10 because we want to, we don't want to like smash the price. And then within like about half 10 or 11, I said, right, everyone just go into your different shops and you're betting like 150 to like 250 quid, right? Just in all the shops. So you're going to go into each shop you can find. Yeah. I ended up with oh, something like 37. Because <laughs> it was my house, I couldn't lay anything off. So we ended up with about 37,000 pounds on it, right? Wow. And they didn't even move the price. That's how well we put it, put the money down. Yeah. Obviously, it ran last. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so the 37 obviously, obviously, it went absolutely nowhere. Um, but the logistics, the process of us getting the money down was perfect. Yeah. Obviously, the result didn't, didn't go our way. But that was like and probably ended up with more money than wanted on it. But that was like highlighted, like it showed me that we were a well-organized mm. unit in terms of getting the money down. Yep. You know, we did everything right. The result didn't go our way, but we it was really well orchestrated. Yeah. You know, to not move the price on like some bumper at Ludlow when you're smashing 40 grand on it and plus what everyone else would be telling other people. So there's probably like the same again going on to it. Without even moving the price, obviously, just we obviously did pretty well right. in that regard. Because ultimately, and for anyone who doesn't know the word of betting, you lump on something, they're going to know that, mm. oh, is there inside info or whatever the case, and then they just drop the price. Yeah, they shorten the price right. so that you'd make less money if you bet on it. So it would, instead of making three or four times your money, you might make two times your money. Right. You know, they didn't do that. They didn't do that on this game. They knew. <laughs> they knew it was going to run last. They though. probably knew, yeah. So then how did, it, how did things ultimately come to an end with with that you you said you run it for 12 to 14 years that's a decent stint especially in this day and age like you're saying most people probably are going to be doing you know maybe seven something every seven or ten years maybe yeah well so i ran it on my own for uh, i did it on my own for a year then i went in with with my two mates um for three years that took us up to 2010 and then i set it up with tom and brev we did it for a couple of years mooney came in and then probably yeah, I think we got up to about eight or seven till about 2015, 16. And then, you know, I'd been at the uni and then I think we'd gone to Vegas a couple of times and I'd, I'd came over to Australia. And then that was probably, when I came to Australia, I was starting to get thoughts of, you know what, pretty good lifestyle out here. I don't know if I want to work every weekend and I've made a bit of money now. Things probably were getting a little bit harder to get the bets on and, and um, it wasn't, you know, you could still make very good money, but, you know, my priorities were starting to change. And like I said, it was never really about the money for me. So I felt like oh, I've made a decent amount here. I don't really yeah. have a lavish lifestyle, pay for a few golf memberships, like a few beers. But apart from that, I don't really, you know, I don't I don't spend heaps. So I was like, well, you know, I'd, I'm not that bothered if we just start to back off now. So then at that point, obviously all my mates were involved, or a lot of my mates and my mates' friends and stuff. And it was... You know, I felt like I had responsibility to them. So there's no way I was just going to like pull the plug and go see you later. But I just was like, right, okay, as people are going to leave, then we'll just kind of, you know, I was passing over the responsibility to them. So every year I was trying to get them to take more and more of it off. I was going to be like making less and less money. They had to take on extra sports, extra responsibilities. And obviously I wanted them to like step up. And they did, to be fair. But yeah, like there wasn't like, there wasn't a natural leader to, to take over no one really wanted that role so yeah. and, and in the end there was you know that the, they a few a few of them left but they just kind of left each year to go and do different jobs and then in the end they kind of they broke up into a couple of twos you know and, and sort of two or three two or three of the lads still do it yeah and doing all right but yeah like it was a process that probably went from 
2017 to, to 2020, 2021, and still is ongoing a little bit now. But, you know, little by little, it probably was really when I came to Australia three years ago that I really had completely sort of backed off it apart from maybe special events like, you know, the US election or the Ryder Cup or, yeah. you know, little one-off events that I felt like I could maybe win, win a bit or something. Yeah. Did you win money on Trump? I bet heavily on Biden. <laughs> oh, I meant when Trump more. got in. Oh, my God. I went when Trump got no, in. No, I should have done. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, right. I'm biased against Trump. So I didn't see any of that going in. I bet on Brexit. When it, the first polls started coming out, so I'm watching the TV mm. and it's like two in the morning and the odds were something like, so they made about 85% that Brexit wasn't going to happen. And then it, and then there was this exit poll. So this company had run an exit poll that was unofficial, but they paid half a million to run it, we found out after. And they made it like, well, sure thing, we weren't going to leave the EU. So the price came into something like 90% that with big money, you know, big, big money on the exchanges, hundreds of thousands of pounds, millions of pounds being traded. And uh, they are, they're obviously, their exit poll, they got it completely wrong because either people were lying, a bit like the Trump ones that, you know, people weren't necessarily telling the truth. So it wasn't necessarily like, right? The mm. exit polls didn't. Normally the exit poll is normally sure thing. Like you get the exit polls, you need a sample of two or 3,000. It's normally like a sure. But only if people tell the truth. And for whatever reason, they weren't they weren't doing the exit polls right or the exit polls didn't have the postal votes in or who knows what, but they got it wrong. And, but the market was so far wrong or so far 90% that when there's that much money, it takes quite a while for it to flip flop. And quite a while, meaning like maybe like half an hour or an hour, but it was wrong for like, 20 30 minutes where it was like the market just wasn't was taking a long time to adjust yeah to and it was the same thing with trump when trump got in because there's so much money and people then are going to trade out it can you know so the first results came from from sunderland about brexit and it was like right this should really be so all the pundits are going this should really be about 60 40 in favor of of, the, of a state staying of course right because sunderland's very much it's like a labor heartland they always have a race to get the votes in first so they're always the first in okay. right and it came in 55-45, and they were like, ooh, everyone's like, ooh, that's not good for the stainers in the year. And it was like, right, okay, well, if this next one comes in, and this is less than what we expect, and this carries on through all the rest of the country, our models make it like, we're leaving. Do you know right. what I mean? Like 80%. And at this point, the market was like, the other way. The market was 80% was staying. Right. And so the market's just a bit like, whoom. And the pundits are saying one thing, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking like, well, someone's right and someone's wrong. So I just like, boom, just had a big bet on on his, um, on his uh, leaving. On leaving. And it happened. And it happened, although I wasn't particularly happy about it. Sure. Uh, I was very unhappy about it, but I thought, well, I might as well make some, make some money some money in the process. Hedge your bets. So yeah, it was it was a bit of a financial hedge as well, because I thought this was going to cause a lot, of, which it did. Mm. I probably, if I'd have known how much nonsense it would have caused, I would have probably hedged a lot more. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there you go. Do you find that... And having sort of run it for for that long, the addictive side, like here in Australia, there's loads of ads, you know, mm. gamble responsibly, these sorts of things. Did you ever feel like for you, it was something that could get out of control where you'd spend or like put all of your money and may, I don't know, maybe, maybe you did, <laughs> maybe, maybe you I mean, picked red <laughs> once and it came in. I definitely, I definitely was stupid. I and mean, I was, I was reckless a couple of times where, where I, I went big because I thought I had a big edge. Yeah. But that wasn't from like a, an addiction point of view. That was just me being like bold. Yep. Calculated, but. It was calculated. Sometimes when I had a really good run, I would get extra bold on things that I hadn't necessarily won it on. And that, and that would obviously, I would then sometimes 
end in disaster, you know, mm. like betting on things that I shouldn't have bet on. But that was more just like a, I got the, I got mistaken wrong or got too overconfident at certain points when I was on a good run. Yeah. So I was kind of knowing myself more than that. But now nah, for me, I was never like, I, I, I could never have another bet in my life when it wouldn't bother me. Like yeah. I've not really had a bet for six months. I couldn't remember the last time I had a bet. It doesn't bother me. Could have yeah. a bet. Don't have a bet. Don't really care. I'd rather watch sport and not have a bet. It annoys me. Yeah. I'd rather just watch the sport. It actually takes, I'm a purist, so it takes it away from it. You're then you're hoping obviously for a certain oh, result. And then even then, and then even if you've not had a bet, if it's a guy that you know you've backed the last time and he's 50 to one and you're watching him win, you're like, should have gone this time. Yeah. yeah. So then you kind of ruins it. So then if you just don't bet at all for a few years, you're like, ah, I'm, I'm all right. Don't care. I was going to say, that's interesting then that you've been on politics when there's like life on the line. I'm not saying, mm. you know, you're obviously maybe didn't want Brexit to happen because mm. yeah, the, no, the shit that's going on, you know, there has been pretty catastrophic, at least from my point of view, which is pretty external. But then there's, yeah, things in politics. I mean, everyone's got their own opinion on that. Whereas, you know, Melbourne beating whoever. Yeah doesn't really matter at the end of the day it's just a sporting event it's just, yeah it's not gonna like you have obviously things that you're passionate about and sometimes mm. you're better off not passionate betting on things you're passionate about because you're gonna get biased and emotions <laughs> about it but yeah seemingly it is sometimes you do i mean i was biased to probably you know i, I wanted biden to win so that probably influenced me a little bit i didn't i was but then the more i looked into it the more i saw the reason but the reason why i bet on it was because the statistical models were making him very very strong so there's, i think there's a it's a website run by nate silver can't remember the name of it it's like however many seats you need like two seven one or something well, however many seats you need to like win the u.s election yeah and they were betting purely statistically but there was a few pundits that sort of showed why that didn't make sense for how they were doing it with trump and in mm -hmm. the end, I think that, yeah, they were probably right. And the price that Nate, because Nate Silver was saying, oh, it's 92% likely that Biden, Biden was going to win or something crazy like that. And it was it was never going to be that strong. You know, right. so the statistical models got it wrong. And it was a lot more, there was a lot more nuance to it than what that was letting on. And mm -hmm. that's why the markets were probably a lot closer to the truth, actually. So I had a much bigger bet than what I should have done. Yeah. But I got, I got lucky and I ended up, Cause, but like Trump first night, you know, Trump came into 80% and oh, I was wow. just like, what have I done? What an idiot. And then, and then as the postal vote started coming in and the difference between with, with Biden and Trump versus Biden, Hillary and Trump was that Biden won all the close ones. He just, he, he got over the line on like three or four that were like by 0.1 of a percent, you know, like 10,000 votes Sure, just went his way. Whereas in the previous one, Trump had won all those really close ones. Right. And that's it. You know, the, if, if you win one of the states out there, you get the whole 16. You get the whole yeah. 16 votes, you know. So you, you win three or four of them and it can make a you know. Big, big swing. Yeah, exactly. So this is before your psychology masters, mm. all, the, all the sports gambling, sports betting. I would love to know what the sports betting taught you ultimately about psychology. Like what were the key things that you took from that and then – went into that degree with, or maybe it led you to the degree, the degree rather? Yeah, well, I was doing them a little bit simultaneously, but what I guess what led me to the degree was my own inability to play my best golf. I didn't feel like I could bring my golf best golf to the table. So I thought, well, I want to get to grips with sports psychology to see if there's, and I'd read a load of books and stuff, but I thought I want to get to grips so I can maybe get 
get my own game sorted out and then help other golfers to to figure out their own stuff, you know, and other yeah. people. Yeah. So that's what led me to that. But certainly like looking at the psychology of players often led me to have an angle or an advantage in the sense, especially in rugby league. So say if you say rugby league, for example, some of the bets I did were very statistical. I've just bet purely off the stats. Other bets were a little bit more, shall we say, psychological. So rugby league, I would look at the, the team, I'd look at the players, I would look at how much rest they had, I'd analyze it and injuries, all this kind of stuff. But then a key component was in England, in the Super League, it's they don't, there's not as much money in it. There's not much money in it, right? And it's very tough spot. Very, you know, they make 50 tackles, they're often playing injured, long season. They play too many games. So they play something like if you win the leagues, play like 35 games, right? And these are like UF. Sea fights, you know, they're they're not like it's not like playing soccer. You're running around like it's full contact, full <laughs> ball wrestling. Yeah. You know, you're getting headshots. It's brutal. Like it's brutal. Like these guys are juggernauts and they're just smashing each other up to pieces. So it's like having a boxing match. You wouldn't go and have that many fights, right? So you know that they can't be on the top of the game every match for the whole season. Yeah. So in that sense, you would you would read. I would l- listen to the the stuff that was coming out of like the local papers, the local media to see who was talking what in the paper, to see what was being said. Because basically what I kind of realized was that if the senior players were coming out and going, this is a really important game for us, that was important. If the managers then coming out going, this is a must win, this is a really important game for us, that's that's big. And then if the owner or the, 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 the directors are coming out going, this is a must win, you know they're going to put in a serious effort. You know what I mean? Whereas when they're saying stuff like, oh, it's a long season, you know, it's all about the process, it's all about this, it's all about that, you know, blah, 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 blah. We're just just taking it one game at a time. You know they might be maybe got their eye on other stuff. Yep. And within that, I would look for opportunities to get with the underdogs when there might have been a complacent favorite that week. And I thought, and especially when I knew the manager was shrewd, especially when I knew the coach... You know, there was a guy, um, there was a guy at Castleford, Daryl Powell, and then there was Dennis Betts at Widness. And these are shrewd, shrewd guys, like really good coaches. And they knew, certainly knew how to win at home, but they also knew when the, a favorite might be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I was, I knew that they'd be like, they'd be thinking we might have a chance here because they might. And and what would happen is these favorites might, they might do things like, so say if they had a, they were playing, so say Leeds were playing St. Helens a weekend after, right? Quarterfinal of the Challenge Cup or something. And they were maybe playing Witness the week before, right? And they'll do things like do a hard leg session on the Thursday before the game, which they normally wouldn't do before a big game, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Right. So that would mean they're a little bit heavier. And in the sport of rugby league, it's a momentum sport. A bit like AFL, but what happens is obviously when you score, you get the ball back. You score two points, you get the ball back. You score a try, you get the ball back. You get a dropout, you get the ball back, right? So it doesn't matter how good the team is, if you get on the front foot, you start to get momentum and you start to control the wrestle and the middle ground. The other team starts getting penalized. The other team starts getting more points against them. You get that kind of energy advantage and that will then lead to these blowout scores and these like two or three tries in quick succession because you're basically just getting hammered. It's like you're getting hammered and then you got to defend again. Then you got to defend again and it's always harder to defend. Doesn't matter how good the team is, they're going to defend the line for about seven, eight minutes. Yep. And it kill, it saps your energy. It's like, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's so hard, right? Sure. So my whole thing, and I was going to actually work with rugby league team, teams on this because I thought it was like such a thing, was, was game management and energy management specifically within that and and using different kicks at different points in the game and 
controlling your energy and slowing the play down, doing different things when you were at an energy deficit. Mm. And when you had an energy surplus, you were obviously going to go for the juggler. So I knew that, I mean, that would have definitely helped a lot of teams for sure, having that information and managing the games better and, and taking more of an approach like that. But I was definitely using it for my own advantage for for gambling, yeah. you know, and uh, seeing those opportunities when those teams were potentially going to be under un, underdone or, or complacent or not turning up because I knew it's the sort of game where a team could be 16-point underdog and they go out and win by 40 points. And that would never happen in football. A team's not like a... That a team is a big underdog, they don't go and win 3 0 normally at Man City or something. It doesn't happen. But sure. in the league, it does because it's that sort of spot. So, like a momentum game. Yeah, right. So, you would, yeah, every now and then, one of those would come off. Sometimes you get two of them come off and then happy days. Off to Vegas. There you go. And, here, and here's the thing you might go, the whole philosophy of my gambling was really betting on a lot of, a lot of value opportunities, but it's like you're, you're, you're chipping along, you're treading along for like, 30, 40 weeks of the season, right? And you don't know when you're going to make the money, okay? But there'll be five or six weekends or five or six weeks that everything goes your way. You know what I mean? And those are the weekends. Like, it's not like you're, you're making five grand every week and it, right. that's how it works. It's like you'll go zero, 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 and then you make 50 grand, right. okay? So if you miss that weekend or you miss the opportunity or you're not there, then you won't get that. So you'll have loads of weekends where you're getting three out of four, you're getting two out of three, things are not going well. You'll have like bad weekends and good weekends. But all you're doing is you're trying to stay in the game long enough until you have one of those weekends. Yeah. So you have almost like step pattern. And it's a bit like that with the philosophy or with the psychology is that like you might have these like little improvements, okay? Now, if the rest of the time you can just stay where you are and not go backwards, it means that every improvement you're going a little bit forward. Yeah. You know, but it's not like a straight line. It might be a lot of like staying still. And that's why I always say to people, if you can stay still for 40 weeks of the year and just improve for like, you know, just go back for two of them and go forward for 10 of them. Right. That is a great year because you will make such progress in that year. And if you can do that, you know, so that's like anyone who's trying to perform. All this talk of like get 1% better every day. It's a great, it's great in, in theory. It's never going to work in practice. You know, it doesn't work, you know. Yeah. But staying still is underrated. Staying still is actually really important not getting worse, just staying still and then taking advantage of those those moves forward or those big leaps forward in the weekends. And that was kind of like a thing. So I take like analogies like that from my betting and from my approach to performance and to people looking at it in their lives that are more applicable to what they're doing. I love that. It's a cool theory, man. Thank you for sharing it. It's interesting timing. And this happens often with these conversations for me on the podcast where – It'll be the exact thing I need to hear in the moment. Yeah. Because I actually woke up this morning. I've had a great week. I've yes. had a pretty chaotic start to the year, though, to be fair. Okay. In a way that I've embraced as like this masculine energy, just got to take shit on yeah. with my business. Had a lot of challenges, even keeping the podcast going, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, right. Trying it at the rate that I've been going, which is one a week. Yeah. It's been challenging. But I've enjoyed that challenge. But I, I was curious to know your answer to this question, which... I don't really know how to shape, but you've you've sort of given good context to it there and the idea of staying the same is okay. Like mm. you can stay at that level as long as you don't regress no. hugely. Even if you do go back one or two days or one or two weeks overall, if you can outweigh and, and stay the same and then, yeah, build at various points, stay in the game. I think mm. it's great. But when things get tough for you, mm. for you, I'm not talking about for others what your advice might be for others necessarily – I want to know for you because today was one of those days for me and I was never going to cancel yeah. this because putting things on the calendar I think is a big thing. Mm. 
to hold yourself accountable. Yes. And then when that date arrives, you may not want to feel like it. I almost <laughs> rarely do. Yeah. But it's Today good. Like days. you need to. Yeah. It's not that I didn't want to have this conversation, but I just got up in the morning and I didn't do my morning workout, whatever yes. that looks like. Mm. It can be going for a bike ride, lift weights, go for a run, just go for a walk, mm. whatever. But I didn't do that. And I also didn't exercise yesterday. So these are the things that I, I know help me. Mm. But today was one of those days where I just didn't get straight into yeah, right. my shit, essentially. Yeah. So I'd just love to know for you when that happens or if it happens over an extended period of time, maybe, how do you handle it how do you get yourself out of that funk yeah i think for me and and i learned this when i was doing gambling i probably didn't have the best habits i'd go to the gym but i'd go to bed like two three in the morning you know i'd be working late i'd get up late at 10 and so that's why it's so important for me to try and get into routines and i'm not i'm not perfect by a long stretch but i try and get into good routines good habits around sleep like doing exercise in the morning T- taking care of your self-care, making sure, like I journal every day. So like in here, like I'm up to week, I read, wrote the book Atomic Habits. I'm up to 200, week 202 this week. So I've done that. I've read the book and I've journaled every day for- 202 weeks. 202 weeks, That's yeah. huge. And you talk about integrity. So Almost four years, come yeah, up to four yeah, years. Yeah, it pretty much is. So he talks a lot in that book, James Clear, talks a lot about habit streaks and, and being integrous. And I always say to people, right, okay, so you, so firstly, well done for, for doing the podcast, right? Because, you know, emotions and, and moods will change, but then, you know, you'll you'll be like, well, I did it, I turned up, right? Yeah. And it's better to do, to, you know, to hold yourself accountable. I would say, right, say if you're picking up a family member from the airport or something, <laughs> right? You're not going to, like, just decide, like, oh, I don't really fancy it. And <laughs> <laughs> sleep from straight. So you're like, sorry, mate. You, you said you're going to do it. You're normally going to do it unless you're a bit of a dickhead, yeah. you know? And, but people let themselves down all the time. They go, oh, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. And it's like, right, every time you do that to yourself, you're basically, that's who you're becoming, right? And it's like you got all your evidence. And it doesn't mean you got to be perfect, but the more evidence that's when you say you're going to do something, the more evidence in that column that you did it versus that you didn't do it, the more you're going to trust yourself and you'll trust your own word. That when I say I'm going to do something, I do it, right? Yeah. And that's going to breed integrity. That's going to breed reliability. And it's like, it's more important that you do it. Even if you don't, sometimes it's like consistency is more important than intensity. Certainly to start with, certainly building a habit. You know, you don't need to go and say, right, I'm going to go to the gym five days, two hours. I'm going to smash it. It's like start off smaller, you know, like. Do 30 minutes, three times a week. 30 minutes, get the habit. Then you can build the intensity and the the weights and everything else after. Just get, just, if you've fallen out of it, get back into habit. So for me, I literally went, when I'm in a funk, I want to feel like I've fallen off. I want to feel like things are going. I'll start with like, right, what's the smallest wins I can do to get back in the game? Right, okay, I can, I can, I can clean my flat up. Right, okay, let's let's clean my flat up. Right, I can get back on top of my journey. Right, okay, let let's just get a gym session in. Let let's try and do this. Right, okay, let's try try and get a couple of nights sleep that are good. You know, yeah. let's let's. So you know, you just start off small, and and then you know, it's amazing how quickly your mood, your energy levels, everything changes around. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take much. You know, what what once once you click back in, you're like you're you're all right again. Yep. You know, so that's kind of just start small, start with some easy wins, and start giving yourself. You know, like all right, okay, we've fallen off. You know, but you know what, you're doing all right. You're doing okay. You know, you're doing well. You've done what 120 p- podcasts. Yeah, you know, you're doing great, mate. Yeah. So you got to tell yourself that. You got to say, look, I've I've represented here 120 weeks. I've done a podcast. I've turned up. I found 120 guests. It's not easy. You've done it, you've rocked up, and 
you've asked some good questions and you've done an hour podcast and you put them up there and you've stayed accountable and you should pat yourself on the back for that. So go on, go on, pat yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cheers, but we, we don't always, um, and we should. Mm. We should say, you know, you do not, you're doing all right, mate. Just say to yourself, you're doing all right. You know, yeah, all right. You're human. You've fallen off a bit. Happens. Mm. You know, what are you going to do now? Because that's gone now. So what, what, what are you going to do now? You can't really do anything about anything that's happened. You can sure. learn from it. Doesn't mean don't doesn't mean don't reflect. Doesn't mean don't learn the lessons. I mean, you should definitely do that. But you can't do anything about it. Yeah. So learn the lessons and then what you're gonna do now. What 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 do you need to do now? Yeah. There's a few questions for me that come from what you've just said there, and I appreciate you sharing those thoughts. I would love I don't know, it's maybe the idea of what do you do if you don't know what to do? Like you've got, you know, you mentioned a few things, clean your flat, journal. Go, go for exercise. If people are listening to this and don't have those consistent habits, you've, you've journaled consistently for almost four years, which is huge. I've been a journaler for 10 years, but haven't been like every day consistent. I've, yeah. I've definitely done it over periods and I, I love it. I think it's a brilliant thing. But for people maybe who don't have those things, what are some things that you would suggest? And then also, I think it's worth mentioning like the self-talk mm. because it's a great point that you say, you wouldn't leave your family member that you've agreed to pick up at the yeah. airport. But a lot of people say, oh, I'll, I'll skip the diet today and I'll start it tomorrow. Yeah. Or I'll miss this workout and I'll, I'll do it, you know, in two days. Or I won't get up at six when I set my alarm. I'll get up at 7.30 because I feel a bit tired. And it's not to say you're a bad person for that, but it's that self-talk where, yeah, you're letting yourself down, mm. which was probably more important than doing the thing. Like you've got to feel your cup up before you can ultimately serve others at a great level. Yeah. Well, I think you start off with the, the three pillars of, of your sort of sleep, your physical and your mental. So, you know, your sleep's so important, getting consistent sleep if you can. And if not, maybe try and get some naps in or something or like prioritize your sleep certainly if you can and 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 get into good evening routines, good morning routines. So you're in you're in the right headspace, you're not on computers late, you know, you're doing all the right things. You you're knocking on the, the lights and the blue light and and Creating, a, creating the consistent routine, which is so important. I think you look at your physical, I mean, your diet and, and your exercise, going for walks, and, and Huberman talks about getting out in the light early and getting to, and, you know, just starting out just by going for walks in nature, you yeah. know? And then and then your, your mental, your self-care, your, your stuff you need to do. That might be listening to music, that might be talking to a friend, that might be going for a walk in nature, that might be just switching off for a bit, that might be doing some sport, you know, that might be reading a book, might be going out with friends. Whatever works for you, right? Yeah. So you've got to be aware enough of what you need in in sort of these areas to, to sort of stay in a good headspace. You know, mm. and that comes from trial and error. You know that eating good food, doing a bit of exercise, getting good sleep, taking care of your self-care, dealing with your chronic stresses, not smoking, not drinking excessively. You know, everyone knows what to do, you know, but be kind of yourself. Realize you're not going to be perfect and start as small as you can and just make it a streak. Make it a streak. Like I, I've... My proud, one of my proudest things is that I've, pr I've run every weekend for something like 100 and, 150 weeks or something like three years straight. Yeah. And and probably 98 or 99% of them have been on a Saturday morning. And then I think I've done four or five Sundays when I've been like on a flight or I've been injured or this or that. But I've run every single weekend at least a few K for over three years. Amazing, man. And Give yourself like, a pat on the yeah, back for that. Yeah, no, I will take that. <laughs> and that's been, you know, with, with colds, with with niggles with with some some injuries you know being massaged into my hamstring and calf and and yep. um hangovers and jet lag and everything else that comes you know and it, and it becomes where you're like 
you know, unless I physically couldn't do it, mm. I'll I'll be doing it because now I've got so much invested in it, right? Right. Because like I don't want to start again. At, I don't want to start again at one. Yeah. You know. So you do anything where you get into the into a streak. First, it keeps you accountable, but you're like, and and it, and that becomes your identity. But now it's just like it wouldn't even be a thing. It wouldn't even be a thing that I would wake up on a Saturday morning and not think that I'm going to go for a run. Mm. You know, it wouldn't even end in my mind. Like it would be painful. You would have to literally tie me down for me to not be going to run on Saturday. Not because I'm an amazing runner. Not because I love running. I only run once a week, right? And maybe maybe twi- maybe twice max. But that's just, and you can do that with anything. Mm. It doesn't have to be running. It's just that's what I decided to. That's just what the street that built was. You know, yeah. and then once you're doing it for a certain amount of time, it's just like, well, that's just me then. That's who I. That's who, who I am. That's who you are, yeah. and that's the biggest change is identity change. You know, starts off like I think that's what 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 Brendan Bouchard says. You know, it, it goes right through. First, you change your behavior, or you change your thoughts and your behavior, then your habits, mm. then then it finally ends up being your identity. You know, and that's the the biggest change, and then it's just who you are. That's great. So, with all of that context, then I'd be keen to know how you weave what you've spoken about into your 12 workshops, build your incredible. But maybe if we could start with how you came up with even just that build your incredible. <laughs> so I literally, I came up with, uh, I, th- I came with a lot of different ideas, probably about 20 or 30. Can't remember what the ones were now, but it was like, yeah, like build your process or create your incredible or this or that. In the end, it was, it was important for me that the words represented that it could be whatever you wanted it to be. So it was yours and that it was going to be great that you could build your incredible life and that it was you were building it you mm. know and really the whole point of it is that, is that you're not trying to get you you might have goals but it's you're living your incredible life now so yeah. it's really like kind of live your incredible it's like live 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 in that moment now you know and that's why it's kind of building it it's like enjoying the process of building your incredible you know mm. enjoying that journey and that was what it was all about. That's why that's what made me feel as though that encapsulated what I wanted people to feel. Yeah. Was that something you started in Melbourne or was it when you yeah. were back home? Yeah, like I said, I'd gone to this um so I had ideas, maybe I was gonna work with rugby league teams, maybe I was gonna work with golfers. So if I was gonna go work with rugby league teams, I was gonna go to Sydney. And then I thought, well, sure. you know what? I'm gonna come to Melbourne because of the golf. And I'd had a couple of golf rounds and I thought I'm back, baby. I'm going to <laughs> Melbourne. So I came to Melbourne. I got looking to join Kingston Eve, which is a great golf course. Met some awesome people. And yeah, my golf didn't stay at that level I wanted. So I worked with, you know, a couple of golfers and and it was good fun. But yeah, there was not really a career there for me, I guess. So I was a bit like, okay, right, well, let's let's work out. And I went back and I thought I could work with these business people. And immediately, as soon as I said it, I was like, you know, everyone else was like, I'm going to help people lose 30 kilos because I lost a lot of weight. Some Someone had been divorced twice. It's like, I'm going to help divorced women get back in the game. And someone else is like, I'm going to do this. And I was there going like, I'm going to help rich people get richer. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking in my head. And he was saying, so Aaron Sanzoni or something, he was like going, that's a great idea. That's a niche. This guy's got it. And I'm thinking in my head, that's the last thing I want to do. Like my stomach was going, I and that's what the best thing was. It gave me clarity. I didn't want to do that. So I came away and I thought, I wrote down, I think it was like 16 ideas of workshops. And in my mind of like, what, what could I do? And some of them I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not the guy for that. I can't do that. Like, I don't know that. What were some of those? Do so, you know? I can't remember because I've lost a sheet, but a lot of the ones <laughs> that I've got, but it was at that point, you know, I, I hadn't done public speaking training. I hadn't done 
emotional intimacy or empathy. So a lot of these I was thinking that's that's important, but I can't do that. Right. That's not really me. In the meantime, I've gone away and I've done some of those tr trainings and I've learned some of those lessons. So I, it's become easier for me to do those. But yep. I, I went away then and, and originally came up with six workshops about the start of 2020. So it kind of just dawned on me and I was like, oh, okay, I reckon I can do this. I reckon I can create some. And so the idea of a couple of them were around the gambling. So they were like, right, I'm going to do one on like decision-making yep. and I'm going to do one on risk, healthy risk and opportunity, like taking, like grabbing hold of risks, understanding value. So they were like two of the core ones. Going to do one on like goals or, and then there was one on habits, one on process. Oh, the goals was actually part of process at the time. So it was like, right, your process, your habits. And then it was like, right, one for dealing with challenges. Mm -hmm. And then one was creating meaning in your life, which was a really important factor to me. It's like, how do you live a meaningful life? Nice. And then came out, delivered them 20, 2020 to friends uh, through the COVID lockdowns and, you know, had people around in my house and we had a few wines and stuff, obviously changed the content, came out 2021 and actually, you know, advertised them, did them uh, inspire nine co-working and I had a few people there and, you know, they loved it, but there was only about like half a dozen of them, but like Belinda came and Tan came, they both got promotions and Ash and Jordy were loving it and Steph and T and, you know, there were already my friends, but like even, even maybe friendships even better than Justin and Mark and stuff. So, they were they were they got a lot out of it, and a couple of them came back to me and said, oh, "I went, you know, after that healthy risk, I went and had a chat with my my boss, and he's going to help me with training. He's going to give me a promotion." And then Tan's like, "No way! I had a chat with my boss as well, and they're going to give me a promotion." So I was like, "Right, I want a ten percent cut." <laughs> but I was like, "Wow, this stuff really works." You're That's getting great. good feedback. I was great like, feedback. "This is this is brilliant! Like, I love this feeling. Like, you know, people are feeling like really empowered." I'm just the idea is I'm just trying to give them some ideas. I'm not like going, "This is how you do it." I'm saying these are some ideas. This worked for me. This worked for these successful people. This is what the theory says. This is the logic. Take what works for you. Some of it's going to work. Some of it you're not going to be ready for. Some of it, it's just not how you think. Maybe some of it's for someone else in your life. Yeah. But it's there and and take what take what works for you. It might be one or two things, but you'll normally be like one or two little bits of value that you can take away and think, oh, that's that's huge. And then for someone else, it might be just what they need to hear. They're like, oh my yeah. God, I really need to hear that about decision making. I really need to hear that about habits because that's what I'm struggling on, you know? And then last year, coming out of COVID, I got uh, looking up to fight. I've been looking at different things like going to workshops myself, going to went to bachata classes, dancing, and then I, I, I was going to 440. And yep. then a couple of lads from 440, um, Brad and Staffy went along to, uh, to dips, and I was like, oh, this looks pretty good fun. You know, just everyone getting the water. Everyone's in bikinis. I thought, yeah, okay, I can get everyone. I can everyone's get, in bikinis. I can get on board with this. I can. I can. Got a great off, bikini body. Just that bikini. Yeah. test. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm sold. So I, I went along to that early doors and met some amazing people. And then we had just the best summer last year. I met so many great people. I won't name them all because so many, but yeah, some really good friendships. Um, and both guys and girls, and it was. Really what I probably didn't realize at the time, but it probably hadn't had that since uni where I had that scope of different friends. I'd had that a bit in Halifax, but yeah, uni where I had all those different groups of friends and it felt like you go down to dips or you go down to see some of these community groups like Run South Yarra now and there's like a hundred people there and you kind of recognize everyone, you know everyone, you're bouncing around different groups, everyone's talking to one another. So, mm. And then you go off and you do stuff like going hiking together or you go on nights out or you go and and go through the the forest and do tree tree uh, climbing or whatever so there's like all these wholesome activities and and everyone's like really positive and it's just great vibes and everyone's really inclusive and welcoming and 
yeah, so I, I've got a lot of time for like obviously Sean who set up that and 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 the guys that run Safiara like Cam and and Chelsea and Tom and and um, yeah, they've they've done amazing things and, and like yourself doing the podcast and stuff. But it was from that 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 what gave me my audience because at that time I was thinking I don't really know how to get this out to the people like the workshop. I know the content's good, but I'm struggling to find my audience. So then when I met all these people, it dipped. And I said, right, I'm just going to do a free one at the start of the year, see what happens. And like 30 people came on my rooftop. Wow. And it was a beautiful summer's evening, the rooftop, incredible views over Melbourne. So it was a great setting, yeah. you know, but that was part of the reason I picked that place because I knew I had a great setting. I thought I can do it up there. There's like tables out there. This is going to be mint. Yeah. And then I did it again. And uh, I think it was like 20 came. So I thought, oh, yeah, maybe it's just falling off. And then I did it the next month and for the decision making. It was like 43. And then I started charging money. And then there was like 40, 40. I think 43 again or 41 or something. Wow. And then and then off the back of that, I was like, right, I'm going to do, I'd start, decided to start the year that I was going to do 12, 12 workshops. I was going to build up to almost have like one a month. Yeah. So I made goals a separate one. And then I, I'd already made one in 2021 on loving your brain, like the importance of brain health and mental health and us getting into creativity and curiosity and being in the moment and, and, lo and long-term growth. And that these were more important for our for our mental health and, and uh, our brain health and almost anything else. Yeah. And I also added in some real key skills uh, workshops such as public speaking, uh, empathy and communication and rapport building, uh, thinking creatively and understanding yourself. So understanding why we do what we do and how our brain works. Mm. And that built it out to, um, yeah, the, the, 12, the 12 workshops. I love it. So yeah, it was feel now that it, the whole approach is it's very generalist. It's like a holistic course or program. So you don't need to do all of them. You can each one stand alone. Yep. And um, I, I run them for individuals and for companies. So I've I've been doing a few uh, a few company workshops, a few half day and, and sessions and starting to run some programs and, and they're going really good and getting really good feedback from companies as well. Obviously, I changed the content a little bit for individuals or companies, but the whole idea is that it it, it gives people, empowers people to live lives, you know, of meaning and purpose. It gives them the skills. It gives them some mindset shifts, some strategies, and hopefully an overarching philosophy yep. or my philosophy. And then they can take whatever works for them. And I'm not pushing down the throat, you know, everyone. But the beauty is as well as some, one person's talking about the relationships. Someone else is talking about their life. Someone else is talking about their work. Someone else is talking about setting up a side hustle. Someone else is talking about moving and going traveling, you know. Mm. It's, and, and everyone's in the room doing the same exercises. That's the whole idea. That's how I wanted it to be. Yep. You know, and and you 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 meet new people. You're pairing up. You're doing interesting activities. Some of these, you know, they go they they, they go for two hours, but people don't even want to leave at the end. You know, people are excited because it's not just like you know, yeah, you're writing a few things down, you're doing a few written exercises, but you're engaging. Right. People are having deep conversations. People are uh, thinking about things that they don't normally think about uh, that are important to them, and yeah, they love it. So I think it's huge. And people coming out of COVID as well are questioning a lot more. The purpose, their meaning, why they do what they do, what's important to them. Yeah. Looking at personal development, looking at skill development, looking at, you know, the bit the bigger growth, the bigger picture. So Yeah. People don't want to be locked down again no. doing doing something no. they don't or haven't enjoyed. Yeah. That's great, mate. I feel like it's very much a testament to just getting started mm. and seeing where it takes you. And another philosophy that I love from a guy, Seth Godin, you might have come across some of his work, big author. Yeah. He's got this concept just called first 10. So yes. it's, you start with 10 people and it can be more, but it's like Love start it. with like a close audience. Mm. And if they like it, you will be successful. Maybe not as quick as you want, 
but it will go. And the idea that you started with friends and family in lockdown mm. back in 2020, and it was obviously good. Yeah. And then you went and did it a few bigger things, but then you were looking for that, where, where can I tap into mm. a community of people or just where people come who are growth-minded, which is very much where like Feel Good Dips is like most of the people there. Yeah. And the funny thing was, I didn't even go to dips with that mind. My mindset sure. of going to dips was like, I want to meet a girl, if I'm quite honest. But yeah. I actually ended up meeting loads of mates, loads of guy and girl mates, and it, it was great for my social life. And mm. then it ended up launching my uh, my workshops. So yeah. it was like, I went for one thing, probably a relationship, ended up sorting out my life and uh, and and my uh, work. And, and that's so much is that we don't know where things are going to lead, but you just mm. do positive things and... and you know, they might end up in amazing places. And you sort of, you take, you know, I think that's a great point that it makes is, you know, you just take action. Mm. And Jeff Bezos says this as well as like, successful people, just take action and then they just pivot. Most of the time it's like take action and then you can have a reverse or you can pivot most of the time. And I think that's like a really good thing of thinking that you can think and every, because the first, it's not going to be, you're not going to do it right. So yeah. people think, oh, I'm going to get it perfect, then I'm going to do it. You know, your first podcast is not going to be good as your hundredth podcast. My first workshop wasn't great, you know. Yeah. My um, first podcast was pretty good. Actually. All right, okay. <laughs> it was with my mum. Yeah, <laughs> but well, I get your point. I totally understand. Well, my workshop wasn't very good, um, <laughs> but yeah, obviously you improve, you learn, you learn your craft, and you you figure out what works, and and you keep the stuff that does, and you ch and you pivot, and you change, and and sometimes you learn by things not going well, and and not handling situations well, and you get better, right? Yep. But if you don't take action, people think, oh, well, I'm going to be the finished product, and then I'm going to do it. It's like some of that stuff you're never going to figure out. Like you look at you look at golfers, or you look at sports people. It's like, yeah, you can train. You're not going to know where you actually stand until you're in competition and in the fire of competition, and then you're going to see where you actually what's going to actually hold up and what's not, yep. you know, and you're going to see what's actually being stress tested. And then you go back trial and error and then you, you make it better. And it's the same thing. If you think you're going to walk into anything, a uh, negotiation or a podcast or doing a workshop or a public speaking event in front of a load of people and that you're going to be perfect, you know, or a relationship. You yeah. think you're going to come back into a relationship and you go, oh, I've done all the work into me. It's like stuff's not going to come up until you're in a relationship. Stuff's not going to come up until you're in the moment. And then you're like, oh my God, I, didn't, I thought I'd work through that. And, right. and I have a little bit, but not as much as I thought, you know? And I think that's, a really good thing is to, to take action and like you say, imperfect action is better than perfect planning. Mm. I think it's like imperfect, yeah, imperfect action is better than perfect planning or something like that or or perfect inaction. That's it as well. Yeah, right. Well, it's just, it's just throwing some stuff at the wall, see what sticks, right? Just yeah. going, putting it out there, getting that feedback and iterating from there. Yeah, and look, if you're doing stuff that you're passionate, like if you're doing stuff that you're truly passionate about and that you truly want to be doing anyway, then it doesn't, there's no rush to get to the end goal. You know what I mean? Like this, what, what's the rush? People are in so a rush to get this. Like if you're doing it, if you're doing it anyway, if you're doing what you want to do, then don't worry about it. Like, because mm. you're already doing it. That's the whole point, you know? Olympic, Olympians, they win Olympic gold and then, you know, they get depressed because it's an anticlimax. That's an actual thing. You know, they actually get, because um, they don't have the they don't have anything to go for anymore. Yeah. So all those all those hard nights, all those all that grafting, all that all those challenges, all those hurdles on the way, that's the good stuff. All those midnight runs, all those times you you train and you don't feel like it and you get up and do it anyway. That's the stuff you remember. Mm. So performances not not when you win three 0 it's when you're one 0 down and and you're not playing well and you grid it out. That's when you go 
that's what that's what you remember. That's put what's what put shivers on the back of your neck when you had no right to win and you you come through, you yeah. know. Or you do that, you know, you do that thing and you're proud of it when it was when everything was against you. It's so true. The the games that I remember coming back. Yeah. I remember one particularly. We were three 0 down at half time. We come back oh. and win four three. You share that story rather than the game that you won nine nil. No one cares. Yeah. No one cares. Everyone loves the comeback story. This, you know, the underdog story, the the comeback story, and 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 it means so much more when when you've done it hard. Mm. You know, when it's not been easy, when you've gone through the the struggles, when when it's taken time, when when maybe it, you're not the most skilled guy at it. You know, maybe 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 there's other things you find easier, but you know what? You're passionate about it and you care about it. It matters to you, so you do it, right? Yeah. And if you're doing it and you're representing and you're rocking up and you're doing it every single day, then then you're already living it. You're already doing it. So don't stress about like where you're going to go. Because when you get there, what you're going to do, you're going to pick somewhere else to go anyway. So what does it matter? Yeah. You know? It's good points. The pivoting, it sort of brings it full circle back to what you said, I think, at the top where we have so many careers or lives within a life. And I very much feel like for me as well at the moment, different seasons, like I said at the start, I've had a tough start to the year yeah. not only with this podcast just various things which is mm. fine I'm, i feel like i'm dealing with it yeah. and it's it's important to deal with those challenges because that's how you get up that next level right yeah. i don't feel like i've moved back i've continued to do the things that i know i need to do i've shown up for myself put in some good workouts I've done two olympic triathlons yeah. not to not to brag on no, my own no, podcast no. or anything like that but no. it's just like the point of like even though i've done these things I still feel like myself, I'm not making the progress that I want to. Mm. And I think it can be, you know, we're, we're critical most of it, of ourselves. Mm. At least I think, you know, good people are for the most part, right? You came in here before, <laughs> shared with me something about, you know, do you yeah. mind if I share that? Well, no, I think we're all, we're <laughs> all, we're all probably, make, we, we've all got a negative. Negative connotations of ourselves, of our yeah. perceptions. Exactly. And we're all our worst critics. Right. You know, and I think, you know, firstly, sorry that you're, you're kind of going, you know, that you've gone through some stuff. And that doesn't mean that, you know, just smashing it and going after and taking action doesn't mean that you don't still want to do working to yourself and be kind to yourself and, and do, you know, just take time out and, and have the self-care. It doesn't mean that sometimes, yeah, obviously it's still good to prioritize your mental health. But some of the best way of prioritizing mental health is by keeping on doing the stuff that's got you there in the first place. 100%. Keep on doing the streaks, the physical stuff, and because that then builds resilience. And, you know, it's important to keep on stressing that the so elements of part of mental health is you will deal where human beings we are meant to we've evolved to deal with challenges we've evolved to deal with things going wrong we can handle it mm. we can handle so much you know all animals can handle so much we don't want to be in a situation where we're like chronically stressed but we can handle challenges and we're used to things going badly and as to have to pick ourselves up and to go again and be optimistic and find projects and things to go after so Part of that is we've got to train ourselves in resilience. We've got to train ourselves in tough situations. We've got to train ourselves. And if the first sign of things going wrong, we just throw our hands up, then sometimes we can't choose when we're going to be in a tough situation. And then and then we're, we're screwed when we are in a tough situation because we've not built those skills. We've yeah. not built that resilience. We've not built that that kind of tough, um, t t those some of those tough attributes that we might need down the line. And that doesn't mean never be kind to yourself and, and show yourself self-love and self-care. But I do think that showing yourself self-care can be, um, you, you you know, finding resilience mm. and perseverance in, and, and being dogmatic sometimes and, and, and saying, nah, you've got this, you can do this, you, you are stronger than what you think. Yeah. That can also be self-care. 
It's not always like, oh, just go and, you know, have a breather, have a break, you know, don't worry about it. Just just don't turn up today. It's like, that's not always self-care. Yeah. You know, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not, you know. Completely agree, mate. I yeah. appreciate it's it. So well done on doing the podcast. No, thank you. <laughs> I would love to know then with that, again, context in mind, the idea as well of, of changing whether it's careers or what you do in seasons of life, mm. what does build your incredible look like for you in the future? What are you building your incredible as, Mike? Yeah, so I'm I'm still very happy just running this just as me. And a lot of the stuff is very personal to me. For me, it's not really about, you know, I don't want to build this huge brand or certainly that's not my philosophy at the moment. Part of the reason I did it, most of the reason I did it was because I, I love to be surrounded by passionate people. I like to be surrounded by people as well. And um, I I just loved it. I, I did it. Sometimes you do things and you think, I don't know how it's going to be. I did the first couple of workshops and I loved them. And I've loved every single one since. They kind of fill me up. They make me feel amazing. So that for me means that I know that I should just keep on doing workshops, but I don't necessarily want to do them every day because then it would get too much. You sure. know, so doing a couple of weeks be a good amount, you know, I think, where you can keep your energy up and, and you're still learning stuff. You've still got time to like read and listen to podcasts and, and gain life experience. And for me, it was all about balance, you know? So, you know, I like to to play my golf, go running, hang out with my friends, read, um, spend time, I guess, with my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Now that I've got one. And Congratulations, pat on the back. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Well done. It's been a while. Yeah, so look, I'm obviously, it, for me, it's a lot about balance, but at certain points, there might be where you you know you get an opportunity or something happens that you think oh, I want to go after this and you're going to be more focused on one thing and and some things will go a little bit more and you'll spend less time doing other stuff you know and certainly that's been where I've been in the past where I've like really gone after my gambling or really gone after my golf or really gone after my dissertation to do it in three months or whatever and you know you do get these things that come along that will say you know what actually I can do more with this or I can build this out and and it and it can be amazing so yeah I guess to answer your question I think at some point. Um, not in the near future. I would like to maybe put it into a book format. I would like to do a couple more um, workshops this year. So maybe add one in on critical thinking and negotiation to build it out to like 14 or 15. I'd like to run events and sort of panel events where we're bringing you know, bigger groups together, networking. Nice. And yeah, just some things like journals, cards that people can use so you know maybe something online these sorts of things but i'm just very careful that you know i'm really happy with where it is at the moment and i don't want it to be you know sometimes you're like i'll do this i'll do this i'll do this and it becomes everything and you're like oh you know what it's actually like robbing me of a lot of joy in other areas of my life and yeah. and i'm not enjoying it as much as i was when i was doing it so for me it was always about trying to do like 20 25 30 hours on it and then do other stuff and not necessarily spend like 60, you know, at some points in my life, but I just do this seven days a week and I'll just smash it. And if you're in that headspace, you know, fair play to you, good luck to you, go go for it, you know, why not? Yeah. You know, I've certainly been there before and, you know, like I say, different ones in your life might change, but for me, I'm just like, I've got a few little ideas, keep on doing what I'm doing, keep on doing the workshops, keep on building it, keep on putting it out there and, and keep on learning stuff and getting better at, I guess, at helping people and yeah so for me it's not like trying to trying to get i'm not trying to get anywhere like i'm not like oh, i want to meet i want to get this much this many followers or i want to get this or i want to get that or i want to get on this or that it's like couldn't really care less like i'm enjoying it at the moment it's awesome meeting amazing people yeah 
you know, I'm happy. I'm happy at how we're going. It's going good. Love it, mate. Well, I look forward to getting along to on one day. Yeah, Funnily enough, about time. Shawnee Bell, yeah. He mentioned he wanted to come along with me to one of yours. There you go. When he's back in Melbourne, I which him. I think he's back any day now. I so. got him to, to get you in. <laughs> you fucking go. Well, I'm thinking of red. Decision making on Tuesday. Yeah. It might be too late when this comes out. No, this is actually going to come out later tonight. There you go. That's what I mean by the chaos of this year. Tuesday the 14th. Get Bang. on it. Bang. Decision, ma- decision making. Best workshop I do. 6.45 to 9. Come on. Comments. That was going to be a question, actually. What is your favorite? So decision making. Do you want to do a bit more of a, a plug on that? What What is the decision making workshop for anyone listening who's maybe not based in Melbourne and can't make it to, mm. to the Tuesday? So yeah, so we had 15 people last night for the for the decision making one, the first one. I'm doing it again next week because it's a really popular one. And really it's to start with a little bit of what we've touched on today, but it's like taking the pressure off. So the first thing is like taking the pressure off seeing things as right or wrong. And it was Dave Allred that um, I actually had a chat with him and, and he wrote in his book, The Pressure Principle, that we're much better to see things as like weaker to stronger options and to see things in terms of caveats or contingencies. I think it was Adam Grant that said this, but to see things over time horizons, all right, if this happens, I'll do this, or I'll do this so long as this remains true, or I'll do this for six months, or maybe I can combine this and this, or maybe I can do this thing I've not even thought about. So just to really open up the creativity rather than think of like, oh, I just really don't want to do the wrong thing, or if if only I knew what the right thing was and I'd do that, but more like, okay, there's all these different options and the first thing is realizing there's maybe three or four of them can lead somewhere amazing. And yeah. we really don't know which ones are going to lead somewhere amazing. So that's the first thing. We go over our emotions and which like emotions affect our decision-making because normally big emotions do not help decision-making whatsoever. So we get people to really look at um, emotions that maybe throw themselves off or physiological states that throw themselves off. And we look at how we make decisions. So we get people, half the people in the room who are more intuitive or instinctive, who think they're a little bit more in that sense. We go on that side. People are a bit more logical, analytical. We go on the other side and we get them to look at it from the other point of view. Mm-hmm. And we look at your values. So I get people to like, right, okay, right now in your life, are you more about passion or money? Or, you know, and don't think what you should do. Just think what you are. Are you more about family or career? Are you more about security? Are you more about adventure? You know, so it's like these things. So it gets them thinking about, because when it's two complex decisions and they're quite close, you know, you're normally going to pick, you should normally pick them on your values, really. That's what's going to be the the key point. Nice. And, and ultimately, I guess, finish off by giving people a little bit of a process to work through, but also to to take the to take the pressure off decisions you've already met, uh, made. And, you know, look plays a big part as well. But we kind of, you know, I mentioned this analogy um, the other day in the other podcast, someone's mentioned this, but, you know, we go into a rainforest and say, say life's your rainforest, right? And you walk into it and you can only see so far ahead. You know, it's like deep, deep bush, right? So you can only see a, f- uh, a few yards in front of you. And, and yeah, you might, you might hit a stream, you might decide to go upstream, downstream, you might go through the rainforest, you might go up a mountain, you might meet someone and then go, right, I'm going to go with this person for a bit. You might meet them a bit later on, like I did with you and go, you know what? I'm not ready to have a conversation with Ren yet. I'm going to have it two years later. And, you know, you might go along with someone for quite a long time, you know, but the idea is that as long as you're going through and making decisions that are based on your values that matter to you, that, that mean to mean something to you at the time, then you're doing great and just enjoy the journey and, and realize that hard choices are just opportunities for you to define what your life's going to be and define who the, who the person you want to be. You know, so it's, or it, we can either see it as a stressful thing or we can see it as something that oh, I wish I hadn't done this or, you know, I regret this. But generally, you know, if you take the pressure on and say, you know, we normally, 
We normally regret the things that we haven't done. So go out there, do stuff, take action, make value decisions. Don't just stay where you are and just go because because no decision is a natural decision. And go out there and, and make decisions based on your values and take the pressure off because they can all be, you know, great options. And there isn't a right or wrong options. And we don't even know what's good or what's bad at the time. So we might something might look bad, something might look good, but at the end of the day, we really don't know. Um, and we might never know. So just kind of trust trust yourself, go through the evidence, work through it, and then just let yourself off and enjoy the journey. Because, you know, that's what it's all about, you know. It's about empowering people to enjoy the journey, go after things that matter to people, have a bit of fun along the way, and, and do things that, you know, are hopefully going to give them purpose and meaning. So Beautifully said, mate. And this has been a very fun conversation. So thank you for your time today. I would love to know, and how I normally like to end these conversations, mm. I started podcasting because I used to listen to guys like Tim Ferriss. I mean, still do, used to, still do. Guys like Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, who would have, you know, the super star Mm. sports people, big performers, Hubermans, Goggins, these people. And one of the questions was, what advice would you give to your younger self? Now, I was like, what would the everyday person say to that? Maybe my dad, the neighbor, the bloke who I didn't want to talk to a few years ago, but happy to chat with now. But I'd love to know for you, Mike, and I believe, how old are you, by the way? We haven't touched on that. Um, <laughs> hopefully, if there's a good filter on, you won't be able to tell. No, I'm actually 40, yeah. So very You scary, are 40. Very so scary. I, so I saw that on, uh, on your oh, Instagram. My mum was trying to tell me I was 41, yes, I'm like, I'm not quite 41. So not quite 41. Yeah. No, you're looking great, mate. But I did see on your Instagram the 40th birthday balloon and then yeah you are uh, you had in the caption i'm actually not 40 this is a prank and i was yeah. like i don't know if mike's telling the truth here or taking the piss but yeah, there's a few people that probably maybe a bit surprised by that birthday party a few uh, a few old hinge profiles that have uh, <laughs> maybe accidentally got the wrong number on <laughs> amazing but with all that in mind i would love to know for you what advice would you give to say your 80 year old self if you could project in the future you're around this middle part and if you did want to project back to maybe your 12 year old self so what to my 80-year-old self? To your 80-year-old self and also to your, to your 12-year-old self, what advice would you give? Yeah, I think to a 12-year-old, it would be, you know, essentially just just do you, you know? Just just don't worry so much what other people think. Like just obviously do things that you feel are important to you and that you value and that you feel that you're going to, that you're passionate about and, and do things for you rather than, other people you know and i think that's really good advice is that don't worry about don't worry about what everyone else decides is a good idea to do because often they're just going to follow what everyone else is doing so you just you just take your own route and then to my eight-year-old self i'm like right if you're still here well done mate i'll just be like i don't know to my advice to my eight-year-old self by then i've just like just enjoy it just play play golf keep on keep on hitting fades (laughs) have a few beers I don't know. Yeah, just uh, hopefully by then, you know, I'll have a bit of family around me or something and I'll be like, you know, I'll probably, I'll probably imagine when I'm 80, my main aim will be, be to uh, have a nice garden. I can imagine myself really getting into my garden or maybe baking or something. I can see myself like, you know, doing a bit of baking, a bit of gardening. Quite like to get into woodwork. Yeah. I mean, I can see myself that. Yeah, that would be cool. But essentially continuing to create. Yeah, um, like keeping on trying to, I, I would say, uh, that's that's what I'm going to say. Actually, and change it as well is don't retire. Mm. So my idea is, we don't know what the future is going to be. Like so, in th- thirty years time, okay, 
we don't know where the future is going to be. We saw with COVID how quickly things can change. We never know, you know, the world's not as safe as what it was 10, 15 years ago. You know, you've got countries invading countries, you've got geopolitical risks, you've got environmental risks, you've clearly got pandemic risks. And we don't know about our freedom and you don't know about your own health. You don't know your own situation in 30 years. So for me, um, working less now and doing less now, uh, 10 years now is worth a lot more than uh, than 30 years when I'm like 60 to 90. So I'd rather be able to do what I want to do for 10 years in my 30s than be able to do what I want to do in my 60 to 90 that I might not even be there. I might not even be in a position to be able to do it or in good health or I might not even have the ability or the freedom to be able to do it. So it's like, well, the, the good times are here. You know, maybe make sure to take advantage of them. And like, obviously at 80, I'd be saying, right, don't bother retiring. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep staying young. Keep trying new things. Keep mentoring people and, and don't let other people tell you, oh, you're 80 now, you should probably pack it in because, you know, Charlie Munger's 99 and Warren Buffett's 92 and I think they're in charge of a trillion dollars. So, you know, they're doing all right. So, yeah, by then, you probably have like bionic, <laughs> bionic various things. So, you know, you might be still all right, you know. All the limbs, bionic. Yeah. Love it, mate. Great advice. I'll have some Botox probably. <laughs> <laughs> you done already? No, I'm joking. You look great, mate. Straight after this. <laughs> Mark, it's been a lot of fun, mate. Where can people get in touch with you on yeah, the socials? Yeah, so socials, Instagram, I got Mikey Knowles one or Build Your Incredible. Also, my website, mikeknowles.com.au, and that's Knowles, spelled like Beyonce, who is my one of my famous namesakes. <laughs> Beyonce Knowles. So. I love it, mate. This has been a lot of fun. Any final thoughts maybe that I haven't prompted with a question before we go? Just, um, just keep, keep doing you. Don't listen to, uh, you know, I like the idea of being contrarian, not just for the sake of it, but listen listen to what you want to do. Go after it. And if you need to pivot, you can always pivot. Most of the time, it's not as risky as what you think. Most of the time, if, if it's worth it, if it's a healthy risk, get into the habit of saying yes to little things. And when a really good opportunity comes along, take it. Because that'll be what you, you regret when you're old, is not taking those chances. Beautiful. Cheers, there you man. go, mate. Thank you so much. Legend. And there you have it, another episode of The Hope Initiative. Thank you again to Mike for hosting, having a great chat. It was a lot of fun, mate. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to getting along to one of your workshops at some point. If you're interested in more of Mike, please do check him out. All of his links that he mentioned there are in the show notes. And as always, you've listened to an hour and 50 of us chatting there. So I would love it if you would share this with a friend, family member, someone you think will enjoy this conversation. That's how I want the podcast to grow. So yeah, obviously we've done some good work here. You've listened all the way. Please help spread the message. And as always, keep creating your life and all the very best.